0: You're listening to episode 175 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. I hate to start the episode this way, guys, but um,
1: I have really terrible news that I think will affect the comic book industry going forward. You know, I don't know how we're ever going to recover from this GameStop is gonna stop selling comic books? Can oh you? Oh
2: God, no, no! Can you please.
1: believe? Think of the, the children. The place that is like the the Funko Pop Mecca is—they're gonna stop selling comic books. Uh, wow! No
2: wonder they're going under. What a hit! I know? remember
0: when I was five years old and I walked into a GameStop for the first time, and I picked up issue 175 of X Men. Changed my life. None you know, of that for was me, true. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go on with the bit, but <laughs> uh,
1: true story about GameStop. Um, I once bought Mega Man X Four, uh, oh, Mega goodness. Man X Four, at a GameStop, and you just hit Sean for, where he lives for the for the original PlayStation. Yes. I put it in. I got home, uh, put the game into my PlayStation. It worked exactly once oh no oh, and i never got to play it again
2: <laughs> Wow! you didn't take it back no i was too young to know better it wasn't oh, used no it was like a new copy i, I really have no idea oh. it must have been used i guess right
1: there my playstation. No, my playstation. couldn't have been broken because i played other games so right. yeah,
2: yeah must have been it must have been used wow that's I, awful yeah yeah thanks game so i
0: don't know good good riddance <laughs> Good Shout out to them, I guess. <laughs> I I really appreciated that bit of news. This this GameStop will stop selling comics, <laughs> uh, and it was presented in such a way where I, there were there were comments where it's like the already floundering comics industry won't be able to survive this huge blow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they it's like they, uh, all
1: all the GameStops not- I've been to in the past three years, which is. I'm pretty sure how long they've been selling, quote-unquote, selling comic books. Has it been that long? I I don't think it's been that long. Hmm. But I think that's how long it's been since I've actually been in a game, a real GameStop. Okay. Uh, they've been very select ones.
0: I mean, show of hands for all the people who have bought a comic from GameStop, you know? like Yeah, I mean... Oh, yeah, no, I was...
2: I've never actually Course seen not. them in a GameStop. <laughs> I've seen them in um, the uh, Think Geek stores, the, yeah. which they own. Yeah. But it's like it's one rack. You know, it's like one circular rack with like some weeklies on it. It's nothing like crazy. Oh, really? Oh, that, well,
1: that's more than I've seen. I think they. I've seen one or two. I want to say Harley Quinn, random Harley Quinn uh, graphic novels, and then maybe, maybe on a good day, the uh, the Injustice books.
2: Okay. Yeah, the the one that the one uh, in the town where I grew up, there's like a Think Geek store in the mall that I think is closing. And uh, yeah, they, they had, you know, maybe 2030 books there. But they weren't always up to date when I would go in. It was like, sometimes I'd see like, Oh, I know, this just came out a week or two ago, we talked about this on the show. And sometimes it would just be something random that somebody hadn't bought from months earlier, you know? The death knells of the comic book industry.
0: (laughs) The death rattle. (laughs) Oh, boy, that's funny. Uh, Well, uh, while GameStop is giving up on the comics industry, we here at the Comics Pals certainly are Are not- Are chained to it to suffer
1: and shove this boulder up a mountain for the rest of our lives. Wow. That is true. (laughs) Uh Who's that? Odysseus? Is that who that is? I don't know. You're the religion guy. you going to ask me. <laughs> it's fucking, that, okay, first of all, that's mythology. That's, yeah. <laughs> Whatever.
0: Just, never mind. I'm sorry. Never. Go ahead. Yikes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yikes. <laughs> sorry. It's going to move right past that one. What I was going to say before I was interrupted anyway was... That if you are a crusader for comics like we are, you can join us all over the internet and spread the gospel. Uh, You can get us all over podcast hosting platforms at the Comics Pals. Just type our name and we'll come up. And if we don't, at Mr. Marco Adamoto On social media, you can get us at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can join our Discord. I'll repeat you can join our Discord. And get in on all the conversations that go on over there. Uh, We've been talking about uh, Dan Didio and all that big news. Um, which we're going to be talking about more on this very episode, uh, and uh, lots of other things. So you're going to want to be a part of our Discord. It's a lot of fun over there. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can be sure to uh, get more content like this if you subscribe to our channel. Make sure to leave us a like while you're there. Drop us a comment and share this video with your friends if you like what we do and want to help grow the pals brand. Uh, Book club-wise, we just launched Magneto Testament, right? That's out. Yep, yeah, that yes. just came out like last week, right? Yes, February yes. Book Club, yep. Uh we've got uh the Infinite Loop out as well. And Their Special Romance Edition. Yes, and a whole host of books in the backlog. So you're gonna wanna go in the Wayback Machine and check out all that good stuff that we have done for you guys. Now, I missed a week. And what a week it was to miss. It Let's was. see. Yeah. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I had to listen to the show and suffer through Marco's hosting. Mm. Uh, he did his best.
2: Hate, and Cale, you Cale know did not make it easy
0: for him, you know?
1: That's true. His tra- his transitions were bomb. <laughs> Given that, <laughs> they, they, were, they were, were pretty good. <laughs> they were all right.
0: They were all right. Uh, for a <laughs> beginner. Uh, yeah, I'll give you that. I, I had a $130 bill at Midtown Comics. Uh, oh my god! Over actually, that's not that much. Just for missing last week and this week, thank goodness oh. for the twenty dollars off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, saved my bacon that extra twenty. Yeah, bucks. that's a that's a hefty bill. Yeah, Uh that's
2: always the worst when you like you just miss the one week and then you're just like, oh Jesus, it's like forty books. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, when you consume
0: comics like I do, uh it's just crazy, and then I couldn't help myself. I got it. I got to tell you, I if you listen to this podcast, you know that I am obsessed with Jean Grey, right? So what? Yeah, I know it's crazy. <laughs> so they had these two. Uh, they had these. These actually, they had three or four covers for the new giant size Jean Grey and uh, Emma Frost. So I had to get. I had to get it, right? Obviously, I'm going to get the book. I got, you know, I'm buying it anyways. But I couldn't decide between the covers. This motherfucker got all of them. <laughs> didn't you? You I did, didn't you? I had to. I had to. I had to,
3: <laughs>
0: I had to do it. She hey, just man, looked too good. It. My girl I was looking it. great. And so was Emma Frost. And this one has Storm on it too. What am I yeah. supposed to do? I had to get them.
3: So yeah. it Let is. Let's see the other is. ones. You got them right there? No, I don't
0: have them right here. Um but yeah, just just gorgeous covers, great stuff. Um, so did
2: you bought five copies of it or three. Three. <laughs> three, okay.
0: <Yeah. laughs> All right, that's- that's
2: not as bad. Well, <laughs> yeah. there
0: were three covers. I bought the three.
2: No, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I just figured it would be a lot worse. <laughs> I was thinking that you were saying that there were three covers in addition to the main one or something. Like I got confused oh, somewhere girl. there. So.
0: No. Uh, <laughs> that's unlike me. I only do it if it's Jean Gray or Cheetah. I'm just kidding about Cheetah. That's that's not mm. true. Sort of. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <she gonna> <laughs> I did well, do that once.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's not it's like it never happened. <laughs> yeah. And
0: then uh the the person who was ringing me up commented on the fact that, you know, I had these covers or whatever. He was like, Oh man, I, I couldn't I, I couldn't get over how beautiful this cover was. I forget which one it was. It was the main cover that he liked. And I was like, yeah. yeah, man, I had to get them all. So I was like, Yeah, Gene Gray's my favorite character in comics. So he goes, Oh yeah? Well, the phoenix is my favorite character in comics. Stupid. I was like, wow. Stupid fucking asshole. And that was when you, that was when you
2: shot him, right? <laughs> yeah, actually.
0: I'm doing this episode And that's jail. when I killed him, your honor. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, he goes, not Jean Grey. He goes, because I think Jing Grey sucks. He was like, sorry. I mean, in my opinion, Jing Grey's not the best character. But he goes, but I like the phoenix without any particular host, just in general. I was like, wow, I've never heard anyone say that before. What a take. What yeah. a
1: take. Like, look, I don't think Gene Gray's a good character either, but I would never follow it up with
0: that bullshit. <laughs> like <laughs> that's the quality of the individuals work in Midtown comics. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He's a good guy. Um but yeah, that was my that was my week. And then of course the biggest thing that I missed is maybe the biggest thing to happen in comics over the last 10 years, which is Dan Didio being ousted or leaving or whatever from DC Comics. I haven't uh, given you guys my thoughts on that. That'll come a little bit later, but uh, yeah, you guys had a great conversation about that last week.
1: It's Man, it's it's still fueling a lot of discussion that I think is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, also uh, very conspiratorial, yes. which is stupid. <laughs> yeah, on a lot of levels, but usually I, very interesting, very, very
0: big. Yeah, and I want you to remember those conspiracies that you're referring to so that we can talk about that a little bit later when we get to that news item. Uh, but first, let's do some pals pulls. And we're going to kick things off with Kale, who picked Something is Killing the Children, Volume 1. I'm so hyped to read this book.
1: Uh, with the praise it's gotten, I am very excited to finally be able to uh, dive in. A lot of people are saying it's the whole, like the horror book of the year, and it's February. I guess <laughs> March when this comes out.
0: <laughs> it was the horror book of last year. It, it's twenty nineteen. Yeah, it's yeah. it's truly incredible. It's really, really, really good.
2: Yeah, I, I remember wait. you You called out like the second issue or something like that in your pals polls yeah. once and you were like over them you know you were really really giving it very high praise so
0: it's been on my radar since then had it even been one trade deep it would have been my book of the year Ooh. at the time I just felt like it was too soon but yeah.
2: yeah it's so easy for like a book to have that one or two like good issues and then kind of fall off so I'm glad to hear that it sucked the landing yeah it's, it,
0: it's still it's still tremendous absolutely
2: that's cool yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'll have to pick that up. I don't know
1: how how much I like Tinian on superhero books, but I remember he did uh, the Woods. Uh, I think it was for Boom, and I I really enjoyed that. His he does have a very uh, uh, comic book focused uh,
0: narrative driven, you know, mind. I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but I do. I think I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think you're right. Uh, and I think I think you will get a lot out of this book. Quite Sweet, frankly. I Hope can't you. can't wait. Yeah. Uh, then you also chose Apocalyptic Girl and Area for the End Times. Yes.
1: Yeah, so this is uh, Andrew McLean's first book. Uh, if you recognize that name, he's the guy that created Headlopper for Image. Okay um this was his first book i think it was put out by dark horse um and this is a, a second edition that's come out i guess since he you know has blown up and and is is making his way in the world with headlopper and everything and and some really dope uh handmade action figures that nice. i wish i could get my hands on they're cool as hell The tiger in denim cut off shorts man cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's cool uh, anyway, yeah, I'm real excited for it. Awesome.
0: Uh, and then I chose, this is a, a, a two for Wednesday of strange books. We've got Strange Adventures number one, which I am oh. so, so excited for. This is Tom King, Mitch Jarrons, Doc Shayner. Oh, duh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they put out a trailer for this. And I think you guys that last talked week, about yeah. it yeah. And mm. it was so cool. Um, and it took my hype level from an eight to a 10. Nice. So I can't wait. I'm a believer still in Tom King in terms mm. of his ability to to deliver a quality short-term series with yeah. a singular vision. Uh, and this art team was incredible. So there's no reason to be wishy-washy about this book. Uh, I think it's going to be hot.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. That was that's what I was saying last week. Whenever well, not everybody. Mostly Phil was kind of like, oh, I don't know. It's like, man, come yeah. on. this is his yep. wheelhouse. This is yep. the this is the stuff he's wowed us with before. So like, let's let's give our man a shot here.
0: Yeah, there's certainly a difference between writing Batman and uh, drawing or uh, writing, you know, something like this. So I think he deserves it. But then, uh, the other book that I chose is Strange Academy number one, which is oh, yeah. a book that Marvel has really like, I don't know if you guys remember, it was a few months ago at this point, but they put out a trailer where they had, you know, a bunch of different creators talking about how exciting this book was, and a lot of creators took to Twitter to talk about how Scottie Younger had this great idea um, and how cool this was gonna be and, um, uh, it's here, so it's 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 Scotty Young, uh, Humberto Ramos on art. Scotty writing oh, the book, yeah, not yeah, actually yeah. doing the art. Yeah, uh, huh? outside of covers, some some covers, which is pretty interesting. Uh, Edgar Delgado on uh, colors in the book and letters by Clayton Cowles. It, it, it looks interesting. I don't know if it's for me necessarily, but Marvel and the Hype Machine really worked hard to sell people like me on this book. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to give it a shot. It's going to be Brother Voodoo, The Ancient One, Scarlet Witch, Magic, Damien Hellstrom, teaching kids magic. So mm-hmm. Harry Potter x ex- Marvel, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Pretty high- good. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, let us know how it is. is. Will do. All right. Let's talk about Dan Didio. Let's talk about 5G. Let's talk about DC. Uh, The Comics Beat put out a really, really strong article uh, by Heidi McDonald about this whole Dan Didio thing. And I thought that we could reference it because she is kind of approaching this conversation from a different angle than I've really seen so far. So I thought it was worth talking about. Uh, She... She makes builds a narrative around the idea that Dan Didio relied and leaned too heavily on crises and seismic shifts to drive sales at DC. And it's kind of this this idea of the difference, the core difference between Marvel and DC is that Marvel is willing to say, Hey, yeah, Magneto is a child of, you know, World War Two Germany and, and the Holocaust and everything else, and that would make him really old. But don't think about that. Forget yeah. about that. So who know? cares? Yeah. Uh, like a nip-tuck approach is what she specifically references, which I think is really smart. And then DC's approach is more, okay, we're going to make it so that all of this can make sense. Uh, And we're going to do it in-story. And it's going to be big, it's going to be explosive, and it's going to melt your mind. But that means that some of the stuff that you know to be true will not be true after this. And obviously that has created headaches for DC fans forever. Um, The problem that she references is that once Dan Didio sort of came into power... It it, it it became all about that, uh, and so she does a, a good job of laying that out. So in two thousand and four, we got Identity Crisis, which yeah. wasn't a retconny crisis like, um, you know, Zero Hour or um, or Crisis on Infinite Earths, of course, the original. Uh, but then we got Infinite Crisis, we got uh, Countdown, uh, we got Final Crisis. Uh, Flashpoint wasn't named Crisis, but it was a Crisis. It yeah. might as well have been <laughs> yep. called that, uh, yep. and it wouldn't surprise me if that if a, a, a different version of the name at some point involved that. Uh, we got Rebirth, which was a Jeff Johns initiative and not a Crisis, and actually something that I think helped DC. But of course, Johns very soon after that was kicked out. Uh, at least you know from an executive position or or a you know yeah an executive position um and then we got dark Knight's metal which was originally called dark crisis so that's how many crises over the course of you know uh what 15 years mm. that, yeah. that that's like 5 6 or 7 yeah well, and then not to mention <clears> – <throat> uh,
2: did you say New 52 in there as well? Because that's that was also under his – Flashpoint. Yeah, Flashpoint. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Flashpoint started New 52? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely – that was always my – one of the things I would point to when I was, like, a teenager, and you're very in that, like <clears> – <throat> everything's about identity, right? And it's – I'm a Marvel fan, so, like, fuck DC, you know? And I remember – That being a thing that like me and my Marvel friends would make fun of them for. It's like, oh, at least we don't have to reboot our universe every other year, you know, like to drive sales. Like it's literally it was like a gag, you know, like among Marvel fans, at least my friends. I like the idea that you have friends, uh, and you have like just leave it at that. I like
1: (laughs) the idea that I have friends. You have, like, gang wars with, like, red jackets and blue jackets, the Marvels and the DCs, the Sharks and the Jets. How <laughs> oh dare really you show your
2: face bit. in our sock hop.
0: <laughs> I like that. But, no, uh yeah, before I was a fan of DC, before I, like, really decided I was going to give them a, a fair chance, I felt similarly. And, honestly, New 52 is where I really started, like... I was reading Mm -hmm. Batman and Green Lantern like everybody else, but then I was like, okay, New 52, I'll give it a chance. I'll read Justice League. I'll read Aquaman, whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Dan DiDio probably gets a lot more flack for the New 52 than maybe he deserves because I do think there were quite a few people who did give it a shot. But there were also those older fans who said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 no, you can't do this. And that's what happens when you... Sort of for forsake the older fan in favor of the newer, you, you do get that. And New Fifty Two obviously was what it was and needed a seismic reboot. It with with rebirth, not that many years later. Um, but here we are on the other side of that, staring down five G. Which, mm. getting back into the article by Heidi McDonald, uh, she essentially says that 5G and the rollout of that is the ultimate reason or the the straw that broke the camel's back as it relates to Didio's time at DC. She talks about how behind the scenes uh, 5G, she says, I don't think you're going to be too shocked to learn that behind the scenes planning for the 5G reboot retcon ultimate hyper time was incredibly stressful. Didio started his own teaser rollout last year, with sneak peeks peeks at wall charts and hints on panels and leaks, familiar methods Didio had used to tease previous crises. For the editorial staff, however, this was a series of constantly changing ideas, reassignments, and what turned into a hostile work environment. Although retailers may have fingered Scott Snyder as part of the coup, I'm told this was formal internal complaints that had reached a boiling point. She talks about morale and how bad it got. Uh, She specifically references an editor named Pat McCollum who was put in charge of the DCU in total who quit over Thanksgiving break uh, with no reason specifically cited that is public, but she is putting those pieces together here in this article. Um, And you guys also talked about Alex Antone last week on the show. Who jumped ship and uh, went over to Skybound? Right. Yep. And there's also a kind of uh, piecing together that Warner, maybe at at and T, may be a little bit frustrated with the idea that as they try to write the ship on the big screen, DC is taking away all of these, uh, you know, major characters that were supposed to be, you know, there's supposed to be continuity here between these two different mediums but now that's that that doesn't exist anymore uh, and so that's kind of where we where we stand and for me and I'm, I'm interested to hear if you guys agree with this for me this tells a story that that does make sense uh, a guy who is 100% passionate about comics but who whose passion and ideas maybe burned away some of the the trust that other that others had and his ability to to lead the ship we've talked a lot about how it's weird how much dc is doing all these shifts and different things just since we started doing this podcast they it feels like they've been all over the place right and some of that has been great but then like the bat dick situation how does that slip past editorial why is dan didio the the one of the co-publishers having to literally sit down and figure out a situation with that? Why is there no uh, check and balance prior to him to stop something like that from getting to the presses? If that was going to be such a big deal, specifically cited here in this article, how did that happen, you know? Was he so worried about 5G that he wasn't paying attention? I think there are a lot of questions, but do you guys kind of agree with what I'm putting down or what this article specifically is putting down
1: I think it's the thing that makes the most sense like given given what we the public know like you know we we have this long history of of you know like like uh, like you guys pointed out this this long this long running disability of DC to sort of maintain a continuity where things matter in the way that they had 50 years before. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. Oh, no. Go ahead, Kim. Please. Uh, so I definitely agree with what the article is putting down and with what you're saying, Sean, where I think that, um, for starters, I, I think that Didio probably doesn't get enough credit for the things that he's done right as a publisher um, because I – don't think that you can argue that there have been a lot of high points in the last couple years for DC and they've made a lot of really smart decisions, um, which I'm not going to completely attribute to him either. Cause that's disingenuous. Um, but the machine that he uh, built and was a part of for a long time made probably as many good decisions as it did bad ones, you know, and, and that's worth pointing out. But I think in the same breath, like between this, report and then also what we saw from bleeding cool when the story kind of originally broke you also get the the picture being painted of a guy who seems to be on some level like maybe a little bit of devoid of ideas at this point where they are going back to that same well and things are a little messy there are a lot of complaints about hostile work environments or him micromanaging people or you know changing his mind and you know like throwing wrenches in things and that isn't unheard of like there are a lot of stories of people who are to your, to what you said Sean right like someone who loves comics who cares about the work who i think intentions are probably good and has had good ideas but has been in this position for a really long time probably too long and it's time to pass the torch to somebody else who's new blood who's excited in the same way that he was when he came into the job you know and that's not to say that somebody can't be a creative or or do that kind of work for years and years, but like being the editor in chief of one of the two biggest comic book companies for Just like editor in chief or not editor
0: in chief um, publisher co publisher
2: publisher thank you co publisher for um for what fifteen years right like give or take like that's a long time to have somebody be in in that kind of control for that long and I, I think at some point you do see. a a diminishing return. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing now, you know, where maybe he's a little too comfortable in the role and maybe there's a culture clash between him and and some of the creators who, you know, are just sick of the way that he does things, you know, and that, like, it doesn't have to be that way. And amid all of this other shuffling of, of deck chairs on the Titanic that DC's been going through of replacing people left and right in leadership roles, I think that's probably a part of it too, right? You know, is that, Ultimately, like DC is going through a transition right now, and that's going to lead to shakeups.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, I think that in a lot of ways, Dan Didio will be looked back on fondly once the smoke clears. And the reason why I say that is because the 2000s for DC. You know, may have been filled with crisis and stuff like that, but we don't. Do we? Do we still get some of the highs that we got at that time that really mm. shaped DC for the future? Without him, you know, like Scott Snyder, yeah. Tom King, lots of creators have come out and said how instrumental Dan was in allowing their books to flourish. Jeff um, Johns, his stuff with Superman, does that happen the same way? grant morrison and and how he really shaped dc at the time does that happen there are so many questions that are like do we get this without dan that i think i think they're worth looking at and i don't think that he was devoid of ideas 5g is a fresh idea and on this very podcast i was against it but i think there was probably more people that were for it here on this show um because it is something that is forward thinking and an attempt to, you know, bring in new new fans, new characters, you know. So I, I think, is it a good idea? That really can't be said ultimately until it happens already, right? But is it a fresh idea? Is it a compelling idea? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but when you have corporate masters, it, it gets tough. You know, and I and I believe that he got pushed back from on high. And I also believe that he was working people really hard. And I think that sometimes that's what you have to do. You know, was his method good. I have no clue. Don't know the man's method. Mm. If there were formal complaints, that's problematic for sure. Mm.
1: Well, yeah, in in Snyder's uh, tweet about uh, Dan Didio, you know, he said, he said, you know, they, they did have. Arguments And they went nuclear. And, and I, I think as you pointed out, and I think we definitely pointed out last week, that was a lot of people are thinking that's the, uh, the reason all this really kicked off. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think, I think his, his method may be uh, proven, but, you know, at the expense of, at the expense of what?
0: Sure. So last question before we table this topic until we learn more info. Uh, what what do, what do you guys want to see out of DC comics? Not what do you expect, because we can't say that. But what mm. do you want to see going forward? What do you want them to do? What has to change? I, I have an answer hot out the gate if you guys need time. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Consistency. DC has not had a consistent vision in a really, really long time. I feel when I started reading DC comics, the one thing that I liked a lot was that it seemed all interrelated. They had fifty-two, which I couldn't read because I felt out. I felt like I was out of the loop, um, but. And they had countdown and stuff like that. And that was a book that featured like a bunch of different DC characters who weren't mainstays. And I could you could follow their like weekly events leading up to the big event, right? And all the books felt like they mattered and it felt like stuff was happening everywhere. Um I think that they've lost a lot of that interconnectivity, they've lost a lot of that consistency. We're talking about we're three years removed or so from rebirth. And now we're on to another, you know, total reboot. We can't keep doing that. We need a a, a linear vision that includes everybody, but that has a track that's followable. I can't tell you how Heroes in Crisis, Dark Knight's Metal, and Doomsday Clock relate because they don't. And that shouldn't be the case. It should be the case that three events that took place over the course of three years have no relationship at all. And that has to change. So for me, it's, it's that answer. is consistency and vision.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good answer. Um, because uh, what I've really liked seeing from DC in the last couple of years is feeling like they are not afraid to try new things. But I feel like that's almost gotten away from them. <laughs> Where like, they're trying so many new things, it feels like they're just throwing things at the wall a little bit now. Yeah. And I mm. want to see, I want to see more of the same kinds of moves that they've made, like going ahead and, and and like working on these imprints, like Young Animal and Hill House, and you know, like uh, leveraging some of their IP in interesting ways, like they did with the Hanna Barbera stuff or the DC Black Label stuff. Like those are good ideas, and I hope that they stick through them. But I, what I want to see is leadership that believes in those ideas and can see them through. So it's not like, oh, we're doing Black Label and then Black Label's been kind of a mess. You know, like it it wasn't I don't think they've delivered on the promise of the idea of Black Label as much as they could have in terms of... Just because, like, remember how many books they announced and then a bunch of them got delayed and we didn't see them and then they were doing reprints. And it's not that the content's been bad. It's that, like, I feel like the messaging has been mixed because, to your point, there doesn't feel like there's that singular vision. You know, whereas, like, I feel like what you've seen with, like, Hill House lately like they've been like on a pretty good clip it seems and it's there's someone steering the ship there is somebody who's like this is my thing and this is what i'm doing with it and this is the voice that it's supposed to have and i feel like dc as a whole would benefit from someone with a clear vision like that for these projects you know whatever they are whatever the initiative is see it through to its natural conclusion you know not Throw it out. Do you guys like this? Do you want us to do this? Should we try this? Like, and that's how I feel like some of these decisions have played out where the idea comes out and we're like, that sounds great. We're really enthusiastic about it. Let's see where it goes. And it goes somewhere, but maybe not where we were expecting. And I, I you know, I, I think that has been the story of, of DC's like peaks and valleys over the last couple years is like great bursts of innovation and sometimes struggling with the follow through
1: that's yeah i think uh that last point is is really what i want to tack on um is is the follow through you know when um when doomsday clock and heroes in crisis were announced it was also announced alongside uh was it the joker war the three joker story oh yeah um we haven't seen Haydn or Hare really until now uh, that that's still happening. Right. We've had Bendis has come in and swept through, you know, and, and uh, you know, I'm not saying this is a uh, 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 a bigger problem or anything, but Bendis has come through and swept, you know, all the, the narratives he's wanted to do, and he's pushed him through. He's done. Legion launched, you know, well before Doomsday Clock was anywhere near finished. And, uh, you know, that, I mean, that hurt it for me. That hurt Legion for me. Uh, that hurt Doomsday Clock for me a little bit. Um, so yeah, follow through, I think, is, is that's gotta be the top priority right now. Like, if you're gonna come up with plans that you have confidence in come up with a way to execute those plans and stick to
3: it
2: particularly with like what with everything that you were saying from this story about like 5g and like how it seems like the powers that be are not behind that initiative like does that even does it really even happen in the way that it was originally promised like and if it doesn't that speaks to this other follow through problem where this will be another example of DC being like, here's what's next. Never mind. Just kidding. We're not doing that. I think we're too far along to now to just drop it. Yeah. Yeah. But like, how long does it last then though? Like how long is it the status quo before? Okay, cool. Or did any of these characters hit it all? They get their own side book and we go back to the status quo, the new status quo. Well, they, oh, what was it? <laughs> hold on, Rudy. Siri's trying to chime in. I, I what do you, what
0: what you got for me, Google? <laughs> they were they were never going to be allowed to do that long term, anyways. No. So no. whether or not Dan Didio was there, I, I think <laughs> I think him being there is better for the ability to to steer the vision of that five G initiative because he's the guy who came up with it. But uh, I don't think it really matters. And is it too far along? DC hasn't specifically said word one about five G outside of these one shots. Those one shots could easily come and go. You know, that's true. Yeah, that's true. They could just be that just one shots. They might
1: they might turn them into Elseworlds. Yeah, they add a
2: caption. Oh, in in a universe
0: somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a good point. We'll see. I think I think that we'll know more about this sooner than we probably think we will. Uh, Dan Didio did put out a little bit of a statement. I mean, nothing... He, he's obviously not going to address this in a real way yet. He's probably not allowed. Right. Uh, but he did say, overwhelmed and humbled by the outpouring of love and support, and it leaves me at a loss for words, first time for everything. So instead... I'll turn to what was said nearly five years ago on April 10, 2015 to best sum up how I feel. Love you all. And it's a video of him giving a speech uh, just as they were moving from New York to California. What is a little bit sad about it is that of the people, of the executives that were there, uh, you know, Diane Nelson, Didio, Lee, Johns, only Lee is still there. And that's only five years ago. So, DC has been through a lot. And I really hope that it's not too much. I don't want... We can't afford a, a comic book industry that doesn't have DC Comics in it. And there has always been this... storm. This 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 storm over DC Comics that is Warner, AT&T. Um, they've never appeared to care or have the same care... Uh, four DC comics that Marvel does where they're kind of like or that uh, Disney has for Marvel where they're kind of like hey do whatever you're going to do we don't care um, Warner and AT&T are, seem to be more hands on seem to, to be more interested in seeing results and uh, hopefully they're not close to their own demise over at DC as a whole but uh, we'll talk about this when we get more info well that, that sorry, you that
1: goes into some of the conspiracies. Oh yes. Uh, have you have you heard that the big rumor now is that uh, Marvel's gonna buy DC?
0: I saw That's... that. And uh I like, would, what? I would love <laughs> I would love for us collectively to put a moratorium on addressing news that comes from that website. Yeah. Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> but what 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 website so was we're it? We're not gonna do that.
0: Um, oh okay, yeah. okay, but uh, we'll we'll address that for play for the sake of play, um, just because it's kind of fun and goofy. Marvel purchasing uh purchasing DC Comics because AT and T and Warner want to shut down DC Comics if five G doesn't go over well because uh, DC had the balls to get rid of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. While they're trying to rebuild those characters <laughs> on the big screen, that's that's the big what a what a ridiculous theory. It's wild, right? Uh, and it, it, I mean, it has no basis in reality as far as sources or anything like that.
2: <laughs> the stuff that people will like believe too, like they just will do these mental gymnastics. Well, it's like, well, what if this, this, and this? And it, it's, it's these kinds of theories are always so funny to me because when you think about how many things leak. And how many things we find out that we're not supposed to know? And you think that something like this is going to come out? And that like th- like this many people know about something like this? And that nobody's like there's been no leaky gasket, right? Come on, this is not how it works. Well, like well, when
0: your source is Ethan Van Skyver. like. Okay, lit-
2: I, literally I was typing a
1: message into our guest chat just in case that's where it was from.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Co- you got to be kidding me. E- it, the source is Ethan VanSkyver said that he spoke to a comics pro who works for DC that said that this oh. is what's happening. That's oh, right. a, a yeah. comics pro, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, it's weird. I never got any calls. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really would hate to see that happen. Just you know, if we're just playing with it, I would hate to see that happen. That sucks mm-hmm. as an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. Let's let let's let Disney own more shit. Great. Yeah, I mean, forget that. Just the f- I don't want Marvel and DC to be owned by the same company in general. I don't care who it is. That sucks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Please, like that. Then it goes from the big two to the big one. Yeah, Great, that's good. awful. That's yeah. what we need. <laughs> However you feel about DC, we need we, we need to have an alternative to Marvel. And I don't feel like I don't even feel like they're an alternative to Marvel. They're their own thing. We, you know, yeah, like they're alternatives to each other. Yeah, exactly. But uh, one executive steps down at one company, and another rises up at another company. Uh, Mark Wade is going to be taking mm-hmm. over as the publisher for Humanoids Comics. Uh, so this is pretty cool. So uh, Humanoid. Is, humanoids, I'm sorry, is one of the most relevant and important European comics publishers. Is going to be uh, pushing into the US market, and they're tapping Mark Wade to take over as the publisher, who's going to be overseeing basically everything from creative to editorial to marketing, um, and trying to use his knowledge of the US market to bridge the gap. Uh, Get them into, get them in with retailers and things like that. Uh, So he gave, uh, he he had some words about this. He said, uh, Fabrice Geiger founded Humanoids in Los Angeles in 1998 with the goal of introducing American readers to the European masterworks by creators uh, Hodorowsky, uh, Mobius, Jimenez, and Manara. And these classics remain the foundation of Humanoids. As we look to the future, Humanoid's publishing state, slate will honor the legacy of those iconic books while continuing to innovate and experiment with new publishing initiatives like Life Drawn, Big, and H1. Kale, I'm going to lean on you here. You know about this?
1: Uh, I know bits, yeah. Um,
0: humanoids
1: yeah. Humanoids is a, is a big deal. In general, especially, you know, as you pointed out for America in terms of comics that aren't American based. Right. Um, so, you know, I've talked about like uh, Corto Maltese uh, several times on the show. That's a, um, I believe that's a Spanish comic book. Yeah. Um and the way the way comics work over here for the most part is they come out in they, their issues are they call them albums and they come in like a a, a bigger size, you know um, I don't necessarily like a like a big a, a tall, notebook like a tall spiral notebook yeah. is how i would describe the albums uh the the art is a bit more oversized like an oversized book kind of like um um ed pisker's stuff sure okay sure um that's it yeah 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 um they they tend to be you know but they tend to be a bit more mature especially in the um um i think the stuff that humanoids tends to put out um, yeah, we've seen stuff like, uh, I think the Inkle has come out fairly recently from the them. Inkle. Yeah. I N C A L. It's cute. Cal. Something like that. The Inkle, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Mark Wade is a good, uh, like say what you will about his, you know, his writing and stuff these days, but like his, uh, his
2: knowledge of the industry is. I mean, bar none. Yeah, I mean, he has more editorial experience than uh, I don't know, probably most people working, right? I mean, he had a position at DC, like he was hugely involved at Archie for a while. Like, you know, he's worked everywhere. He was the, he was one of the chiefs at Boom too, right? He yeah, for a while he was. Yes, it's like CCO or something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's like he he's just done a lot, and you know, and like not to mention all the really really like huge runs he's had you know so it's like he's he he has a ton of experience as a creator and as an as editorial and at a number of really well established companies that hit different niches too you know like working at archie is going to be a lot different than like dc and the metrics for success and everything are going to be different so like i feel like he has a a really good knowledge base of the American market from a lot of different angles. So yeah, it seems like a really good position for him. If that's the big thing that they want to do is try to expand more outside Europe, he seems like a good guy to to steer that
0: ship. Yeah, I think this is a good a good role for him. Uh, he is going to be doing some writing with them as well, some some original cool. stories. So I like that, uh, and I, I I I love the idea. As we become more accepting of non superhero comics uh, and and non traditional comics in general, I, you know I love the idea that we can embrace and have the opportunity to have more European comics in our faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite mm-hmm. creators right now is Mirka Andolfo, and her books are all um, uh, European. I think I think they're written in Spanish originally. And she's worked out a deal with Image where they've been translating them, and uh, she's the writer and artist mm. on her books. And they're very different, you know. They're they're very very different, and I like them a lot. And it's cool to have an opportunity to read these books from other languages because the images are universal, right? And that's the brilliance of comics. Is like if you read a book, a regular book that's written originally in another language. Uh, the translation might not be so great, and you can lose a lot. But with comics, because you still have the image, a lot of that, what might get lost, is still there in the imagery. And I just mm-hmm. love that idea, the, trans- the translatability of comics. So I'm all for this, and I'm very excited. I,
1: I feel like at some point along the line, I've heard uh, Mark Wade talk about European comics I think he is a, a big fan of the stuff that comes comes out over here. I couldn't I, I couldn't tell you what what it is, um, but I, I along with his American knowledge base, I feel like he knows the European market as well.
0: Yeah, is my point there. Yeah. And he yeah. and he's I been mean, with them since 2018, anyway. So uh, mm. while he probably has that additional history you're talking about, he's been with them for some time now, so he understands their business and whatnot. So yeah, yeah, seems
2: like a good match. Yeah, good on him. Guy does great work. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see him steering any like ship that has power, you know, because he can do good work
0: for sure. So over on the dynamite end of things, Nick Marucci, uh recently was the keynote speaker at Comics Pro. And Comics Pro is where you know retailers get together, have their you know their annual meeting, and you know their representatives from the different publishers that are there and stuff like that. Um, and this has been making the rounds a little bit just because of some of the things that he had to say. Uh, it was you know it's a keynote speech, so you know it's a little bit long. Um, and if you want to check it out for yourself, I do feel like there are interesting things in it. He gives his sort of origin story and talks about how he was you know uh coming from an immigrant italian family he grew up in philly um his first language is italian uh and comics were really the thing that that kind of got him into our our culture and whatnot um, and he was obsessed with comics. He was buying them for three cents without covers, and all he cared about was trying to figure out a way to get comics that had covers on them. Um, and well, that explains Dynamite's line. No. Yo,
3: wow. <laughs> damn,
0: <laughs> savage! Uh, how many Dynamite comics are you reading, Kill?
1: Currently, yeah. none.
0: They all they
1: all have Dynamite covers and not so Dynamite. Interiors. Ouch! Wow, savagery. Uh, have you have you seen the the masks line? Alex Ross covers beautiful. Uh, it's a it's a group. Masks is a, a, a Justice League s group of uh, uh, the 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 pulpy heroes like the Shadow and the Spider and green uh, the Green Hornet. Mm. Um, and uh, the stories are not very
0: good. Okay. Hey, it happens, right? Covers though, tremendous. Alex Ross. Yeah, hey, I buy <laughs> books for the covers. I bought three books. Guess. I bought I bought the same book three times for the covers.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's true. It's
0: the <laughs> one industry where you truly can judge a book by its cover. Damn right. Uh, so, referring back to Nick Berucci, uh he he tells the story of how he got into comics, a very sort of feet to the foot to the grindstone. Um, You know, entrepreneurial story of a kid who loved comics, who ended up starting his own publisher basically by himself. Uh, I think it's a really cool story if you want to read about it. Why we're talking about this is uh, for the following. This is a part of the story that got me here today in front of you with this great honor as... Keynote speaker. I've mentioned that there are challenges and I've mentioned that we all need constructive criticism and ideas. I'm going to say something that may come across as too blunt but feel it needs to be said. The overwhelming majority of retailers are communicative and are up for discussions. At times, there is a retail minority that are loud and the equivalent to keyboard cops, and they may not realize it, but they border on bullying. They prefer cancel culture over discussion and understanding. And mutual cooperation he goes on to talk about a lot of initiatives and ideas that wouldn't have worked had we had the same uh retailer perspective that we do now at the time so uh, he says without experimentation marvel's heroes reborn would not have happened which would not have led to Marvel Knights, which would not have allowed Joe Quesada to become Marvel Editor-in-Chief, which would not have led to more experimentation like The Ultimate Line, Marvel Max, and the many creators that have helped usher in another great age of comics. Uh, Many retailers had grave concerns over DC's Black Label with the trim size and price point, but the quality was there, and now we have an entire line of best-selling books. He talks about Image and how they rolled the dice and their work with these top creators that has led to Image being what it is today uh, and how a lot of those books have had, you know, more mature uh, subject matter that may, that current retailers may shy away from. He talked about The Boys. Obviously, uh, uh, (laughs) The Boys is a book that is published by uh, The Boys. I'm sorry. The Boys is published by (laughs) Dynavite, Um, DC sold the series to them. And he says, there were retailers who did not like sensitive content. I had retailers threaten to stop ordering all our titles if we didn't cancel the boys. But we were passionate and stood firm about the series, and that was an early threat of cancel culture. Uh, So he goes on and on and on, and there's a lot to this. And I I don't say on and on and on to negate what he's saying. I think there's a lot of good points in this. Uh, especially if you like the more granular elements of the industry and the way that publishers and retailers relate. But what do you guys think about that overall messaging? Because a lot of what he's talking about here is about this sort of cancel culture and this the need for retailers specifically to be more flexible in terms of what they're willing to to go to bat for. He talks about books that die on the vine because retailers won't won't try for them. They won't try to push them because they don't like the subject matter or they don't like uh, certain things about it. And so those books don't have a chance to succeed and how that hurts the industry as a whole. So, you know, we just talked about Dan Didio. We talked about how he was willing to experiment and try different things, whether they worked or not. Do you think that the industry itself, the retailers who push these books, need to get up to speed on trying things out, or do you feel like this is a guy who is using a, a buzz phrase and cancel culture uh, and has maybe some biases on his own end of the spectrum, uh, and he's kind of uh, out of the loop on this one? What do you What do you make?
3: Well,
1: that's that second part of, of what you just said i can't really tell who he's talking about because he it seems like he's kind of mixing his his uh perspective yeah so like when you use when uh, people who traditionally use the term cancel culture are the people who are the you know the louis cks of the world who are you know distributing the same uh you know uh, women in bikinis, oversized men carrying guns that uh, obey no laws of physics, and you know the the Antarctic press, the Ethan Van Skyvers, the uh, the those guys of the world. Sure, but by his examples, it also sounds like he's on the side of the you know, like the Mag Magdalen Visagios, the 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 people who are trying to come up and and push the envelope know, a little bit and push the envelope thank you yeah um so I, I i couldn't quite get a hold on who he was pointing at you
2: know what i mean yeah i definitely get that impression um because <laughs> that i was confused or that no no <laughs> i i too was confused by his language Uh, Because I think, like, when he says the thing about um, the retail minority who are, like, keyboard cops, you know, like, that feels like something that would be aimed at – again, like, it it feels like language that's usually aimed at, like, you know, uh, people who want – more diverse characters or you know different kinds of stories or whatever but then he's going and pointing to examples of like what image is doing and like pushing forward books that are more like mature so that to me doesn't feel like he's talking about like politics like he's saying like these people don't want to push these books forward because of their subject matter that to me sounds like he's talking about like that sounds like he's taking more of a position of that comics need to be more than what they are right yeah. they need to grow and they need to change and that the people who are pushing the envelope are the people that are doing that you know and and he's talking about himself but also a lot of his contemporaries right so like by that point is he talking about the
1: people who you know the the million moms or whoever the fuck
2: that uh
1: protested the uh the second what was it second second uh coming
0: yeah yeah that, yeah, um, yeah like that it Jesus feels it feels like book- he's more
2: talking about that You know, but it also that makes sense. But it also feels like he's kind of aiming at retailers a little bit, right? Because he's saying how like they didn't want to adopt black label because it was different and it was different than what's been done traditionally. But the proof was in the pudding because the content was there and people showed up for it.
0: Well, this is all about retailers.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, with that in mind, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I I feel like. The language he's using feels a little bit mixed, but it feels like what he's talking about is that, like, ultimately, the industry is afraid of innovation. Feels like the hypothesis statement there, right? Is that the industry is slow to change and retailers are afraid of new and different things and that there is kind of this old guard, old blood mentality about comics sometimes and that that is detrimental to the future of comics,
0: I yeah and and I think I agree right so yeah his specific example that he uses that relates to his business is the boys and mm. I, I I will say that it's not a surprise that he loves the boys and pumps the boys and then uses a phrase like cancel culture in like improperly um. <laughs> I just I think it's kind of funny. I love the boys too. I don't have a problem with the boys, but it's just funny that you but you also don't know the proper term of cancel culture. Well we've tried yeah. to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but the boys is notoriously, you know, hyper violent. Uh one might argue hyper masculine and there's like you know oh, that's a good um, way to put it yeah. rape and stuff in it. And so uh, people shy away from that right and i guess retailers told him hey we're not publishing dynamite books anymore if you continue to publish the boys i have a problem with that i have a big problem with that i think the industry should have a problem with that because if if he said okay i won't publish the boys anymore well all these years later there's no boys tv show all these years later Dynamite is not making money hand over fist and thus retailers aren't making money hand over fist. So retailers didn't want to support it, but they'll gladly make the money off it after the fact, after someone else did the legwork to make it a property that all of a sudden has global appeal. Yeah, now we've yes. decided that it's
2: it's good, you know? Um and, and I, I and I'm sorry to cut you off, Kel, but I just want to make a point based on what Sean said. Where I think the other problem there is it's not just like you then – you might cut a series off at the legs, you all those things, like how that can affect the economy of comics. It's also – I don't want retailers being arbiters of taste. Yes, yes. You're not allowed to decide what books I read. The market decides. The reader decides. We decide what has value. And look, that's what happened with the boys, right? Audiences have spoken. The boys has value in some way. And you can critique it. You can – uh you know say that you don't like it and you put something else up instead fine like but like i don't i don't think that anyone and we've talked about this on the show a lot and no one gets the right to decide that like art should or shouldn't exist art gets to exist and the the audience decides if it has a merit you know and if it doesn't you tear it down or you don't or you don't give it no oxygen
1: yeah. You don't give it no oxygen. <laughs> give it no
2: oxygen. I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't give it no oxygen. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, I think that's, that to me is like a super alarming sentiment. If that, if what he's saying as he's saying it is actually what happened, you know, like that's, that's a huge, uh, that should give everyone a chilling effect. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. Well, it goes along with, um,
1: you know, uh, like some of the uh, we we were just talking about uh, humanoids, and uh, so like I brought up the Inkle, uh, and I I just read it. Uh, that's that's why it springs to mind to me. I read it uh, just a couple of days ago, and um, it's filled with it's a sci-fi book, but it's filled with weird sex and like this weird. Perfect future thing where like there's you know uh, penises and rape and uh, you know what
2: that's the it's, perfect it's, future.
1: <laughs> I mean, to some people, uh, and you know, yeah, like how how are comics ever going to evolve from you know these two superhero companies who turn out at you know as we said before the same thing over and over and over again if if the market isn't allowed to grow.
2: Well, and with that attitude, like imagine if, imagine if retailers had said that about Watchmen when it was coming out, you know, like, like imagine if, uh, image didn't want to put their weight behind saga because nobody is gonna, is gonna sell a book where the first page is a woman giving birth or there's sex or there's violence or, or the walking dead, right. Or any of these like megalithic kind of books that, are you know the the series of the last decade, you know, like or or earlier, right? Like within the case of Watchmen, like that's the you know arguably the most important work in the medium. And imagine if someone had tried to stand in the way of it because it dealt with topics like rape or because it was violent, you know. Like I don't I don't want anyone making that call. And I, you know I, anecdotally, like I've seen that in. I've seen that in one of the local shops that I used to go to when I lived in Jersey, where one of the retailers, like, he wouldn't order a lot of books that were, like, maybe more catered towards, like, women or LGBT or or anything like that. He'd get, like, one or two copies of them because he's like, oh, nobody buys those books. And it's like, well, does nobody buy them or are you only ordering one copy and it's getting sold? Because I'm here for it, right? Like, how many other people like me showed up and couldn't get it and went somewhere else?
0: Yeah. Totally. I, retailers have to make decisions every week about what they're going to sell and not sell. And I'm sure that that's a very difficult position. Yeah, But at the end of the day, uh, your only goal, or your I should say your primary goal, should be to sell comics to people who want them. Mm-hmm. And whatever agenda you have outside of that should absolutely be secondary and shouldn't It shouldn't be the case that if I want a book, I can't come into your store and get it. Your store should have it. If it's sold out or, you know, whatever, it's some kooky book that only Marco buys, I get that. But, you know, if I go to your store to buy the boys, I should be able to buy the boys. It is what it is.
2: Yeah, well, and and I I will say I, I wanted to take the opportunity while we had this conversation to plug uh, a video that we should have coming out this week about we went and visited uh, a shop in New York called Anyone Comics um, that Kale used to frequent over in uh, Brooklyn and one of the main things that Sean talked about with um, with them Dimitrios. there was that yeah Demetrios thank yes. you yeah with Demetrios the the owner of the shop is that like they are they are a poster child for the fact that an alternative comic book shop can be viable because they're operating in the most, you know, one of the most expensive cities to run a business in the world. Uh, and they largely sell indie books. He says that the biggest part of his market is not Marvel and DC superhero books. You know, it's everything else in between. Cause there's a lot of else in between. Um, that, that store is actually where I got my copy of a uh,
1: Corto Maltese.
2: There you go. Uh, and that, you know, there, there's something to that. And I think that's a huge part of the problem is that, like, we talk about how, like, comics is this one thing and it needs to be this one thing because that's what the market dictates. But the market doesn't always let some of this other stuff get oxygen either, you know? And I think that's a huge part of the problem is we we like to say that, like, oh, well, you know, these kinds of people don't read comics. But, like, you know, (laughs) it's just recently that comics for them have even been able to get over. So, like – yeah, man, like, new emerging markets are a real thing. And you see it in, like, other industries. Like, comics are unique, but they're not that unique. You know, like, if you, if you build it, they will come is really the thing. And you see it in the way that Image found success in marketing different kinds of books in the way that shops like anyone have found success in marketing to different kinds of readers.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, I just think it's a good lesson for the industry, Hopefully, they took what he said to heart. Uh, that's Nick Barucci of Dynamite. Uh, congrats. And, and Dynamite apparently doing pretty well. Uh, I mean, yeah, they've got a huge influx of
2: cash over the last year and a half or whatever. <laughs> By
1: all accounts, it sounded like they've got, uh, I think they're doing the James Bond book
0: uh, that's supposed to be doing pretty well good for them man uh, Vampirella yeah. just did uh, oh, yeah. 150 150,000 copies of damn really? Vampirella number one uh, so that's a record for them for that character for Dynamite so hats off big time mm. uh, respect for that yeah dude anytime
2: you can see an indie pub like them getting getting over is that's good for the industry
0: yes absolutely so C2E2 is upon us uh, for those of you and who are listening... Everyone's getting coronavirus. <laughs> you're damn right. Don't try to shake fist Tom bump, King's baby, hand. Fist bump, No fist yeah. bumps. <laughs> Just waves and nods and all that. No fist oh, bumps. Oh, we're not doing fist bumps at all? Not at all. Oh. Uh, I thought that was where we landed. No. No. Dangerous. Oh, good. I mean, You could have coronavirus well, on your fists. Uh, good, don't touch me. Yeah. That little hair you got on your on your on your hands there, your fingers there, that could be coronavirus stuff. It's a
2: hotbed for the coronavirus. <laughs> Full, yeah. Full of coronavirus. They're
0: saying shave your beard. I might have to go beardless for the first time in ten years. Ooh, God I can't do God, it. I hate that. I what hate the world. way I look without a beard. <laughs> Ugh, yeah. No way. Uh, but uh, a few people who don't have to worry about the coronavirus is the X Men because they have plants that cure all diseases, including the coronavirus. They have their own viruses to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't like this. <laughs>
1: what are you gonna do? You did a bad job. Get Ma- somebody get Marco on the phone.
0: <sighs> yeah. All right. We can replace me with Marco, that's okay.
1: It's about time. That's
0: fine. God. You know,
1: after 175 episodes, you're you're we're, <laughs> we're kicking you
0: out. This
2: is one crisis too far, Sean.
0: C two e two is happening. Uh, for those of you listening, it has already passed us by. But we're here to talk about the big X Men news that came out of that event uh, on the Friday of C two e two. We learned what the fir- the very first X Men event in the sort of Dawn of X. I know it's not Dawn of X anymore, but what else do we call it? Uh, in the Dawn of X era of X-Men will be. It is called Ten of Swords, but it looks like X of Swords. So, uh, And it looks like everyone's got a sword. Uh, everyone yeah. has a sword, yes. Uh, we did get some... Fucking sign me up. <laughs> yeah, this looks
2: fucking awesome. Are you kidding me? It's like- oh, that's not what I'm i'll be a mutant if
1: it means i get a sword <laughs> Fucking yeah
2: i love this i love this promo art everybody just with a sword
1: <laughs> yeah it's pretty you wild. get a sword
0: you get a sword
1: you get a sword
0: <laughs> everybody gets a sword <laughs> we got some incredible teaser art by mark brooks who does a lot of that for um for the x-men line uh and i like Like these guys just said, everybody on this cover does have a sword. These swords are actually relevant. These are swords that have a history within the Marvel Universe, specifically within the X-Men Universe. Um, And the title, Ten of Swords, uh, has a couple of meanings that we can sort out. So likely it it references uh, the tarot card Ten of Swords, which of course, tarot cards were were represented in House of X. Uh, so the Ten of Swords actually represents betrayal, uh, rivalry, tragic endings, uh, It's generally bad stuff. But then when it's reversed, when it's flipped, it represents um, uh, uh, recovery, like 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 battling back. Okay. Uh, bad stuff. So, so yeah
1: we, weird the spoiler in this they, they've they just given it to us the first cover is gonna come out and it's gonna you know it's gonna be uh, you assume the one they you know the promo image or whatever but the last one is actually gonna be upside down weird marketing technique <laughs> oh. but you gotta give it to them first sticking to their swords
2: so <laughs> that was <laughs> I don't know about that one yeah, but you talk about me are you fucking kidding me um, <laughs> really phoning so, in now, Kale
0: <laughs> So we don't know a lot about the story We don't even know Much about the, the creative teams We just know that Jonathan Hickman And T.D. Howard are gonna kinda Write the bulk of this But it's a 15 issue crossover So oh, cow. Good god yeah, What I surmise Based on the way that X-Books X Have traditionally done their events Is that each book each x book that currently exists will have a chapter or so so yeah, it'll be probably. like Excalibur X of 10 X of swords or whatever right Um and teeny will write that and then it'll be Marauders X of swords right Marauders number 10 X of swords whatever the hell Uh like right. that and then the Alpha and Omega issues will be written by Hickman and Howard and Hickman will write the X-Men number 11 X of swords type thing that's how they've traditionally done it I really don't like that format I really 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 don't like it but whatever I don't know why you need 15 issues for your crossover it's a lot Uh, Yeah. story wise what we know is that 10 mutants are going to have to take up swords in order to protect Krakoa from an impending threat that we don't know about yet Um, fuck yeah I wouldn't be terribly surprised if it has something to do with the Goblin Queen, but that remains to be seen.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited about this. I like this. Do I need it to be 15 issues spread across 15 series? No, but I like swords. I like the Goblin Queen.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And it's going to begin in July, but we'll get our first taste in a prelude which will be coming to us on free comic book day.
2: Oh nice. Awesome. Yeah. I really like how Cyclops has a lightsaber. Yeah, what's good with that? Yeah. Storm has a lightning sword. I've I've talked about
1: this a little bit before. I love it when things are sort of individual individualized. So like Cyclops lightsaber makes total sense. Yeah. It's a it's a beam. The dude's whole business is beams. Right. Hell yeah. I dig it.
0: I, I'm not excited about this. I really I really thought I would be. I thought no matter what they say about the X event, I'll be hyped. I'm not hyped. This the last
1: year? I, I just like the point that they have swords. That's, yeah, that's the it. thing that's that like...
0: is making me not hyped. Oh, It's a gimmick. I well. really despise gimmicks. I don't like it when characters like the Hulk wear armor for no reason. I don't like the idea that Cyclops needs a sword when he has blasters. Wolverine literally has claws. (laughs) Wolverine having a sword sword is the most redundant thing ever. (laughs) Right. It's
1: just, I
0: don't know. It's dumb. Can't help it. Just like
1: swords,
2: man. I'm I'm with you, Kale. Like, it is dumb. I acknowledge that. But I'm like, this this image is so cool. I like this. But swords are cool. I like swords.
1: Uh, and as far as, like, the 15-issue crossover goes, like, I'm not crazy about it, but as long as they have, like, the diagram, uh, that's fine. As long as I can follow it and figure it out, Put in
2: a timeline that I can get on a t-shirt and I'm in.
0: (laughs) I guess, yeah, the difference between this crossover and a lot of the other ones is the creative teams across the board are good. And so... Mm, If there some of the books, pres, presuming this works the way I think it will, they haven't said it works the way I say I, I think it will. Uh, if each creative team just has a chapter in the story, um, we don't know if Hellions is going to be good. For example, we don't know if Children of the Atom is going to be good or X Factor. Um, but if they are, well, we know X Factor is going to be good. Leah, Leah Williams on that one, we know that one
3: going to be
1: good. Boy,
0: is she a star! Like. It just kind of happened. it's kind of happened overnight I, with her. Yeah, nowhere, yeah, yeah, she's a star. Um, but yeah, if those books are good, then presumably this crossover will be good. But without more knowledge of what it's going to be or you know anything like that, what are the mechanisms and who who's on art? Uh, I really just can't get excited about about X Men with swords. Yeah, Ooh, that's fair. It. But. I do have a question for you guys. Would you say that it's a random question of the week? I had to make it. I like that he's
1: answering his own question. Is it a random question of the week? I don't think so.
0: (laughs) Oh, God. Mm -hmm. I think I need that gif. (laughs) Somebody will (laughs) give it to us. So, at the panel for X Men at C2E2, Uh, There was a Q&A session, of course, as there always is, and there was one question that I really liked that I thought we could have a little bit of fun with, and the question was, which X character is most likely to host a podcast?
2: That is not the question I thought it was going to be. Which X character is most likely to have a podcast? Huh. So like, hmm. this is a harder question. I thought it was. It good. is, yeah, because like, because I'm thinking about it, and like, I I can see certain one, certain of them in like certain environments. Like the first thing that came to mind, I was like, I could see Beast as like an NPR host. That was my you answer. You know, yeah. Like I could but, totally uh, see yeah. that.
1: Okay, I like your I like your scenario. I thought about it, and then I was like, now nah, he's he's too busy off doing one of the fuck Beast.
2: Yeah, like I don't think he'd actually do it. I think he has the yeah. voice for it, but <laughs>
1: I could see. I bet Iceman
2: What would it be about? He
1: seems of the of the personality that would have one.
2: Yeah, Bobby's chill because I feel like it's got to be someone who's like. Oh, I didn't Idiot. mean that as a pun. That's oh, hilarious. God. <laughs> oh, Kale just gives me the thumbs the worst. down. <laughs>
1: That's terrible. What would Bobby's be like? I bet it. Hmm, I bet it would be a bit like the uh, the 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 guys that do the last podcast. What is it, the last podcast on, the, on left. the left?
0: Yeah, yeah. His podcast will be called "Chilled Out" with Iceman, and the at the end of the "Chilled Out," there would be an exclamation point. <laughs> Yeah, I don't hate that, it's actually. It's
2: him and Pyro, and it's called Hot and
0: Cold. Nah, you know? <laughs> nah, Pyro, Pyro. Nah, 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 nah. You can't have advertisers with Pyro on your podcast. As long, long as you show. keep the
2: curses 30 seconds away, I think you're all right. <laughs> uh, cause I'm thinking, like, who of the younger mutants could I see doing something like that, too? Because, like, that's, I think, probably the best candidate, right? Would be a teenager. Oh, like, uh... Well, I guess I was thinking more of the,
1: along the the new mutants um, or the newish mutants. I'm not sure where the they uh, made the cannonball. He and um, who's the guy that he hangs out Rob with Roberto. in Bobby? His, Bobby DaCosta? his boy. I, you, I does he have a name? I don't. I you're just gave you his name.
2: <laughs> yeah, we gave you that. no oh, his
1: X Men name. Um, Fuck, come on
2: yeah sunspot. uh
1: sunspot yes yeah yeah. they seem pretty tight i bet they do one yeah
0: they're like best buds they're actually in space right now uh chilling with the Shear, because uh uh cannonball's wife uh smasher the smasher yeah, they have a baby smasher i hardly know her
1: oh that would be the name of their podcast holy shit no one <laughs> would
2: not jesus hey williams is in charge you know that's what they call (laughs) call it gone intergalactic so So, go ahead no oh no i was just making fun of kale oh yeah Yeah, that's it was bad didn't work i rejected.
0: it pete struck gold with the comics pals but since then name wise it's been all downhill
1: (laughs) fucking i came up with that name
0: no you absolutely did not your memory is (laughs) twisted no way dude no you didn't (laughs) Oh, boy. We'll, well, we can go Literally back in the archives no. for that one, but I'm pretty confident that Pete came up with it. But in any event... I do not think so. Right. I absolutely All did. Right. <laughs> um, my answer, because the Beast one we already discussed, uh, I'm going to go with a podcast called X, X Nation, and it's hosted by Jubilee, and it has a uh, rotating cast, and the only thing they talk about is the news, rumors, and gossip from Krakoa. That's solid. Oh, and maybe, maybe
1: sometimes they get, like, the wacky sinister to come yes. in and spill, spill the yes. secrets. That's good. Yeah. That's oh good. Oh, my
2: God. I would watch the hell out of that show. <laughs> that sounds
1: great. A cool, a cool podcast would be, like, uh, one with Wolverine. But Wolverine would never host a podcast, right? So it would be one of his, like... His one of his one kids. Of his kids. You know, be a jubilee. <laughs> be a jubilee. Be it uh, jubilee armor. Show. Be yeah. it Kate. Uh, just talking about all the shit that Wolverine has done. Throughout whatever
0: story he wants to tell today. Story time with Wolverine. He just drinks a beer. That, that <laughs> would be a cool show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Canadian healthcare. I'm down for all these ideas. But uh yeah, just as a quick. Aside, um, Jason Aaron was asked about what he thinks about the the X-Men and whether or not it's time for the Avengers and the X-Men to clash again, because obviously Jason Aaron writes the uh, Avengers right now, and he said, Jonathan's plans are continuing to unfold, and as we all know, Jonathan's plans tend to stretch forward in terms of years, not just a few issues, worth of storyline. We've seen such a profound shift and change in terms of the X-Men's place in the Marvel Universe. I think you know that change is going to be reflected not just across all the X-Books as we've seen, but it's going to bleed out into every corner of the Marvel Universe at some point or another. He didn't go any further uh, because he probably can't, but we've joked about Avengers vs. X-Men 2 and we just talked about x or sorry ten of swords, so do you think that Avengers versus x men two makes sense as the next event after ten of swords or some point down the road, or should they do it at all for real this time um should they do it at all? Yes,
2: I hope it's later i don't I don't think it should be like a avengers versus x men two like that's not necessarily what I'm like saying I want, <clears throat> but I think a book that <clears throat> leads to some kind of clash between the Avengers and the X-Men is inevitable because as long as the house of X, you know, stuff is continuing, the mutants are continually like moving their society forward, their status in the world. And like, we've already seen in, you know, we're going to talk about it a little bit more, but um they're clashing with other superheroes like in Fantastic Four, X Men, right, or X Men, Fantastic Four. Um, it's 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 going to happen, and a lot of the mutants have relationships with the Avengers. So, and a lot of them have been Avengers for years and years and years. So, yeah, like it's it's something that's going to happen, and that there's a lot of there's a lot of good storytelling meat to be you know wrung from that. Um, but I, I don't want it to be something that happens too soon, and I don't want it to be something that's like an overhyped event that's just them all punching each other. You know, I want it to be of the caliber of what we've seen in the X-Men lately. kale So, you know, so we just talked about Ten of Swords, but it's
1: X of Swords. You know, that's how it's written. And then Powers of X and House of X were, or Powers was Powers of Ten what if we had what what if the book was called x avengers but it was 10 avengers and that's where i stop i can't
0: come up with anything else <laughs> wow that. all right it's a cool title though uh yeah it is actually i was i was i was really like hooked once you said i was x like avengers, where's this going and then it was just yeah. over yeah. i was
1: like okay well that's a letdown Set. So, Shame shame! I'm not Jason Aaron or Jonathan Hickman, because that's a cool title,
0: but... That, it's a shame you're not Jason Aaron or Jonathan Hickman for, like, a lot of reasons.
1: <laughs> but mainly that one. Let's, <laughs> I mean, let's get
0: real. Do you have a serious opinion, or...? I don't care. Okay. Whatever. Uh, so, They're gonna do it whether I like it or not, so... <laughs> Hope it's good. I think Pete's right. I think it, it is inevitable. I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the... X Men are doing some real stuff that I could see um, humanity as a whole having a problem with, and the Avengers are the defenders of humanity. And what a compelling question I think is: Are the if the Avengers are the defenders of humanity? How does how do their responsibilities coincide with the fact that mutants aren't human? You know, do they feel responsible for mutants? or are they an enemy of humanity because they are not humanity uh and i think that a nuanced book right a book that's not about punching necessarily it gets there but a book that is about those kinds of questions and what happens when you have to answer them new avengers but in this age
1: sorry Hickman's New Avengers oh, yeah. versus
0: yeah. the main Avengers yes, book? Yeah, sure. Uh, when they first did Avengers versus X-Men, it was about the Phoenix Force and who had the rights to it, which is like... I hate I hate books that have like, oh, this thing, you know, this MacGuffin thing, let's all yeah. rush here and deal with it. Let's fight over an object. Right. Uh, whereas I think a book about ideals... And a clash of of ideals could be really uh, interesting,
2: particularly like with the idea of juxtaposing the defenders of humanity versus the defenders of mutantdom and like how do their past allegiances and relationships you know intersect, and like how many of the Avengers do see the X men and mutants as a whole as a threat to humanity? How many of them are sympathetic to their cause? Right. like there's so much there, totally, yeah.
0: Uh, I I want to see it but I want to see it in a specific way and I think that if there's any creator who can do it Jonathan Hickman but I hate to say this but I gotta say it I would really prefer it if Jonathan Hickman was the only writer attached I agree
2: maybe one other person but I would I would yeah, I would want Hickman to be the one to to focus on that event. I'm specifically trying to
0: leave out Jason Aaron. That's what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I I, I want to see Hickman do that story because it's Hickman's vision of the X-Men that I'm engaging with. You know, and I don't want to see the work that him and the X team have put in to to build out what's going on in the world of mutants right now to be leveraged for an event that amounts to you know a title fight headline right like oh cool let's watch Captain America and Wolverine punch each other in the face like that I'm not interested in that.
0: Kale what were you going to say?
2: Uh,
1: Aaron just finished the Thor run right? Yep and he's on Avengers. And he's doing
0: Avengers now how's that doing? I've heard nothing Avengers about Avengers is... It's a, it's like a... It's like a... Like, there has to be a writer for Avengers. And Jason Aaron is a name that people definitely recognize. It's not bad. Uh, I've enjoyed parts of it. For sure. But it's not anything groundbreaking. And I don't think it was ever supposed to be. Um, And he's become that that guy, I feel like. And his his events have not been special when he did them.
1: Yeah, his big Thor one was the buildup of how many years, and then it just kind of it seems like it just kind of fizzled it, it out. Came and
0: when the event itself, yeah. Uh, original Sin, I'm pretty sure it was him, and that was like whatever. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. So,
3: I
1: don't not
0: even how original that ended. sin. <laughs> Yeah. What a cool premise to just oh, be wasting. Yeah, let's not even get into that, because I could talk about that, man. I was I was very disappointed.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Well, just quickly, um, have you guys seen the um the Dawn of X collections? Uh I I mean I know of them. Yeah. I was wondering if you guys knew how they're gonna be collected, because I haven't seen any solicits or anything for the specific trades, so like a Marauder's trade or a, an Excalibur trade, are they going
0: to be in these Dawn of X collections? So, uh, the last thing that I saw about Dawn of X collections was that uh, they would be each, each, the Dawn of X collection would feature issue one of every one of the books from the Dawn of X period.
2: Oh, so it would be like as they were published, so you could read them. Yeah. That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. Like, it's... It, I'm of two minds mm. there. Like, I'd like to be able to just read the storyline, but having a way to read the entirety of what happened in this period of the X-Men is also pretty cool. But it's only the one issue, right? So Yeah. Well, our, our, I was getting it where, like, you'd have the first one would be all the number ones, the next one would be
0: all the number twos, right? Uh, I don't know, but God, think about how long that would take. Oh, it would take forever. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) we're up to eight on on these books.
1: Like, you would think at least one and two would have to be out now if that were the case. Huh. I like that less and less, actually. I was See, I was wondering if they were going to do it, like continuity-wise, like, you know, this is this is how things are
2: unfolding
1: in Dawn of X.
2: Yeah, like, that's kind of what I meant, right? Like, if it is all
1: the issue well, not, ones in a not row... Just, not just one, 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 but, like, how it affects continuity. So, one, 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 two, two, three, sure. one, you know. Yeah. How these events happen to make one bigger story as opposed to just all the first issues. Like, yes, they were probably... Follow that order to a degree,
0: but so does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it they are doing it like I laid it out. So Dawn of X Volume One is every issue one, Volume Two is every issue two, and Volume Wow Uh there is no Volume Three yet. But yeah, and Volume That's Two wild. is out March tenth. Volume One came out on Wednesday this past Wednesday. Oh
2: so. okay okay. okay. Ask and you shall receive. Yeah, what well, you said, like they would both have to be out by now. Well,
0: okay, great. They pretty much are. <laughs> yeah.
3: Um,
0: hmm. yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that. Hmm. It, it, it's fine, but I think that it, people who just like Marauders, for example, then don't. They have to buy, you know, a thing that only has one issue of the book that they like. It would be great yeah. if they did
2: both. Like it would be great if they, you could have the option to do it either way.
1: And I can't – surely they will, especially if these are standalone stories. Like if Marauders is going to end at 12 or whatever, surely they'll
2: they'll put out the entire thing when it's done. It's possible. I'd be cool with that.
0: But uh, let's get into our our reviews for these X-Books. We're going to be reviewing three books for you guys. We're going to be reviewing uh, Giant Size X-Men, Jean Grey, Anima Frost, number one, uh, Fantastic Four, X-Men number two, And, uh, X-Men number eight... Seven. Seven. X-Men number seven. Alright, so we're gonna kick things off with giant size X-Men, Jean Grey, and Emma Frost number one. This is the first in a series of giant-sized books we're gonna be getting, all written by Jonathan Hickman. He teamed up with five different artists to tell these stories, and this first one is, uh, Jonathan teaming up with Russell Dodderman, who really got famous for his part in the Jason Aaron Thor run. Uh, and his art here, I think is, is really incredible. This issue is really like primarily centered around the art because, uh, Jean gray and Emma Frost go on this mission to go into storm's mind and try to recover her as she has uh, fallen unconscious. And we don't know why. Um, And so the book really doesn't feature much dialogue at all. It's bookended by, you know, a few lines of dialogue. But uh, the whole meat of it is them on this psychic mission to uh, save Storm. And what a gorgeous mission it is. This is really one of the best-looking books we've gotten throughout the entire uh, relaunch of X-Men. And we've had a lot of really good books. Really good-looking books. And this is up there.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I loved this issue. Um, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, whereas, you know, I think with a lot of these issues, there's always one or two moments that I feel like we want to call out, and we're like, how great was that visually? The whole issue is that, you know? Like, uh, whether it's, like, the big set piece moments you know like when they're actually on the journey through storm's mind and like the coloring there is incredible and you know there's great work there but like i think even just in like the acting you know um sean you always love to call out like the mark of a good book artistically is when you can oh you could take away the dialogue and you'd still be able to follow it right and it's like this doesn't have any dialogue and it does such a good job of you get a, such a good sense for who Gene and Emma are as characters, and what their relationship to one another is, and how they, what their relationship to Storm is, and how they approach uh, serious situations. Like there, there's so much emotion um, just between them, you know, and and that coming across as well as it does with no dialogue is a testament to how good the art is on this book. You know what? I'll, I'll say it.
1: I'll be the first to say it. Jean Grey fucking rules. <sighs> <laughs> I, did, I, was, I was going through this book legitimately. I had a moment where I went, fucking Jean Grey, dude. Hell yeah. Wow. <laughs>
2: yeah, man.
1: Wow. Welcome to the party. <laughs> Slow down. This will not extend outside of this book. No, she
0: either rules or she doesn't.
1: Well, hey, only a Sith deals in absolutes, my friend. <laughs> and what do you think I am? <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> Fair
0: enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there are so many beautiful moments in this book. I, I, and moments that, you know, like Pete said, like there are a lot of uh, storytelling beats that Donnerman knocks out of the park that I actually feel like dialogue would have damaged one of them yes, in particular yeah. is when uh, Emma and Gene are in Storm's mind and there are those two uh, uh, lines mm-hmm. that's exactly yeah. what I was going to yeah, call it yeah. Yeah. and I, I really don't think this moment works at all with dialogue I love the, the, sequ- the sequence it's like Gene sees the um the, the these this image of her and storm hugging and it's it's coming out of what I guess the dust or whatever um, sand, sand yeah and and it's really like beautiful and then just below that is uh, one of the one of the lions like leers at Emma and you see out of the out of the sand an image of of uh, storm blasting Emma Frost presumably <laughs> and Emma's like eh, yeah. what, what am I gonna do. <laughs> Great stuff.
2: Yeah, and then um, in that same issue, or in that not same issue, obviously, in that same uh, page, when Emma hits the ground and she and she writes "help," you know, like there's there's so many cool little uh, beats like that, and yeah, I, I I was blown away by this issue. Frankly, like I think all of the issues that we had this week are really good. I think this is my favorite. Interesting uh definitely not my favorite but it was very very good i just it's it's different you know and like it was it was refreshing cuz like once it got to the part where it was like totally silent i was just like wow like we're really committing to this huh <coughs> and and it and it i think it's really effective
0: yeah I, t- I tend to not love it when creators do the whole silent issue thing but i think that uh the what makes a writer really good is not the words in, in comics, it's not that they use words well it's a lot of it is the staging a lot of it is the the situations you put your characters in and when you have an artist as capable as Russell Donnerman is and you team those two people together, you're gonna get something that works this well and, it, and it's just this, such, a, such a kinetic issue, there's so much energy on every page, I mean like the one big splash where um, G- you see like it's like the outline of Jean Grey in in these reds and all, and below that is the outline of Emma and the blues and how they meld together. Yeah, that yeah. that was yeah. just crazy. Um, uh, just just the the one uh, splash page of Jean Grey as she's letting out this psychic blast it was really yeah, awesome. Huge shout out to Matt Wilson on the color color uh, colors yeah.
2: for that because. <sighs> Yeah, like, all of the the metaphysical kind of stuff. Even just that shot of the tree, you know, with, like, the sky behind it and everything is just beautiful.
0: Yeah, and I want to say that Matt Wilson is a regular collaborator of Russell Donovan's, and he really brings out the best in his work. Also, please, can we talk about Emma's gloves? So good, dude. <laughs> and, like... The mileage that they get out of it, like
2: uh, I really love um, when they pull out the flower, and there's just that shot of her just being like, Meh. yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> yeah. They're they're like this. So her her look is so fabulous. It really it's is ridiculous.
0: <laughs> but so what? Go ahead. I, go ahead, Kill.
2: I was just I was
0: quickly. I would I would
1: love to see the script for this. You got to assume it's Marvel method. Yeah. You know, for the majority of it, like. This is, this is one where you just let Donnerman go, okay, here's
0: they're in Storm's mind, make it look cool so uh, Hickman actually talked about the way the process of these giant size books and he said that they reached out to, uh, I feel like it was 14, 12 or 14 artists, 5 said yes so they he, he sat down with each of them individually and said, what do you want to draw? what do you like to draw? And uh, he was given the answer, and then he approached it very much like this will be a vehicle for the artist. So I guess that would be Marvel Method, like pre- pretty much. Yeah.
1: I, yeah. Yeah, basically. A, a little, you know, a, maybe a little more care into what they want to do, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I, if I had a guess, I mean, he probably knew where he needed to get Storm to. And then everything else was, you know, do your worst. Or your best, I guess, in this case. Um, But, so, the book does end with them, uh, you know, getting to the crux of this problem. And realizing that uh, Storm has a machine virus that's going to kill her. And it's going to take 30 days to do the damage. Why 30 days? I don't know. Uh, Things like that (coughs) bother me. But... uh, yeah, that's a big problem.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Do we know is that is this is this particular story gonna be the through line for all the giant size? Or? I don't
0: think so because there's one oh, okay. with Nightcrawler. Uh, there's one that's just a tribute to uh, I think it was Len Wein and uh, and another creator, another historically great X-Men creator. I can't remember exactly who, but it doesn't seem like there is a through line. It seems like it's just you know, whatever they feel like doing. So, here's a question. If Storm has a machine virus that's going to kill her in 30 days, she's long since dead. (laughs) Does it matter? Because they can just resurrect her?
2: Yeah, right? That's, that was what I was thinking. It's like, how how much does that matter?
1: I guess it depends on how you, uh, or how the rebirth process works, and how the machine works. Because if it's this techno-organic thing, you know, it could spread into the Krokoan system.
0: Well, yeah, I guess that that yes, I, I received that. But then, what if it kills Storm, but only in the sense that the personality of Storm is gone, but the body of Storm is actually taken over by a machine? Ah, uh, and then it, they can't bring her back. They presumably could because they have bodies for weeks, right? The problem is that now there's a storm out there. Who's a machine, but is also still a a, a mutant. Yeah, right. Like that's that's more. I guess what I was trying to
2: say is that because isn't that their law, right? Is that like they the person they have to know the person's dead before they bring them back. That's why like sending uh, X twenty three and you know the other two guys through time or whatever is such a like. Meaningful decision because, like, they won't know if they are dead, so they can't resurrect them.
0: Yeah, but, but, like, they would know Storm is dead. She would be dead, personality wise. Dead. Yeah. yeah. But what I'm saying is that there would be a Storm out there who has the same powers, but is now a machine. So, you know, mega level mutant with right. robot brain. Yeah. Working for the other side. Yeah. No good.
2: No good. What I I've got a question
1: for you guys. Uh, what do you guys think of Storm right now? In this place of
0: where we've been since House and Powers, I think that Storm is suffering a little bit, like a lot of other characters, to find Spotlight, and Marauders has done her no favors. Uh, but that being said, I really love the way that she's positioned as kind of like the, the first person you see when you come back from the dead is Storm and she reintroduces you to Krakoa and all that kind of stuff. I've really appreciated that.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: I want, okay. Sorry. I was going to say, I agree with Sean where I just feel like she's been kind of underutilized. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, X-Men in a minute here, but like, I think similarly to like a character like Nightcrawler, like there are a lot of heavy hitters of their ilk. That, you know, I think we as fans would love to see more of, but, you know, they, yeah, they have big positions in mutant society right now, but how often are we seeing them as actual actors in their stories? Like, not a lot, or at all. What
0: were you gonna say there?
1: Yeah, I was just, I was gonna uh, say that I've been thinking uh, very similarly, and I was wondering if I was alone, um, just in that she... It seems like she's being she's more passive to everything else, uh, and things you know when she is around, things happen to her. Um, so yeah, I don't know.
2: So I don't necessarily agree with that until now. With the because I, I don't I don't necessarily think that things have just been happening to her. I just feel like she's been kind of relegated to a supporting character. I guess, In other yeah, people's I guess I stories, right now,
1: I, yeah, I guess I don't necessarily mean things are happening to her, but she's reacting to things that are happening.
2: Yeah, yeah, she she's very much like, okay, cool, like I'm following Kitty around because I don't want Kitty to die, right? And that's that's what she's been working on. And aside from that, you know, she has a place on the council, but we
1: haven't really seen that yeah Yeah,
2: it's the same reason we haven't really seen much of Nightcrawler until now where it's like oh he's on the council and it's like okay but he's not going out on missions or anything and he's not going uh to talk to the world leaders so that's all we've really seen the x-men do
0: yeah uh I'm intrigued by this angle for Storm I really wonder when we're going to see the follow-up to this, because we don't know when these giant-sized X-Men books will be followed up on, but 30 days is not a long time. So, hopefully sooner rather than later, X-Men number 10, maybe. We'll see a little bit more. Um, but yeah, really great issue, I feel. Anything else to say about it before we move on? I loved it. Oh, I'm crazy. We have to talk about uh, Cyclops Gene, Storm, and Emma. What the hell that was about? Uh, At the beginning of the book, Cyclops brings Gene over to the place where they're going to enter Storm's mind at. And uh, Cyclops and Gene are holding hands. Gene stops off to give Wolverine a kiss on the cheek. Cyclops puts his hand on Wolverine's shoulder. Uh, Very suggestive behavior.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think between this... Between what we saw in the original issue of the...
1: The, the room layout. Yeah, yeah, the
2: room layout. That, coupled with this issue, coupled with the t- conversation that they have in X-Men um, 7. 7.
1: There's only one conclusion. Wolverine has two dicks.
2: That's the conspiracy, isn't it? Um well, I I hate that, hate that I mean. It's
0: been around for so
2: long. I can't... It's so annoying. I cannot believe... It's been confirmed. Oh God!
1: Wolverine, James Logan Howlett,
2: has two dicks.
3: There you
1: go. It's confirmed right here. There you
2: go, everybody. This is crazy. You're yeah, crazy. Yeah, but no. I mean, they're they're clearly in a polyamorous relationship. You know, like that's what's going down here. I don't know if that's clear. Oh, I think it definitely is. <laughs> I, I mean, it very well could it very well
1: could just be a throuple. You
2: know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's clear that. I think Jean is shacking up with both Cyclops and Wolverine, and Cyclops is with Emma, and that's cool, and yeah. Did you, Sean, when you originally
1: brought this up, did you mean to include Storm in that? Did I? You said I, her name. Yeah, yeah because I they were going
0: was... to to get into Storm's mind. Yeah, yeah. But I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't oh, implying.
1: Oh, I, I think you, I think you said her name in the list, so I was wondering where
0: she fit into what you were putting down. Yeah. No. no. I think that was. No. She's not involved. I don't like this. I I don't know. Like, it's just, it's just not what I need. I I mean,
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, mean, I don't <laughs> what, know. I don't. Which, is it? Because she's not banging you? Or no. Like no. This? I just really. <laughs>
0: I really like the idea of her just being with Cyclops, and that's it. Where does uh, where do you think Emma fits in? In that? I don't think she does. Hmm. Um... I, I yeah I don't feel that uh, she has a role necessarily in this whole whatever that is this in this drop it's not a film. I would also really body. love them to just come clean with whatever it is so we can get beyond the speculation but
2: yeah I mean I, I I to me I think I think that's what this like between these two issues I think it's very clear like I don't I don't think it's like a even like a subtext thing
1: I well they definitely couldn't say it because because of Disney but like
2: I mean, they could. I think, um, yeah, come on. They mm, well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's definitely very much like I. I that's a hundred percent what's going on
0: in my mind. Well, in your mind is not in my mind. Yeah, that's fine. I'm just saying. <laughs> so maybe it should be. No, it shouldn't be. Uh, so let's move on. Maybe it should. X Men Fantastic Four number two. Uh, this issue I liked a lot less. I think than the first one. Um so we follow up here, we get, you know, more conversations about why the X-Men are bad. Uh Doctor Doom is talking to the uh to Kitty Pride and Franklin and Valeria about his you know his plans and why he's a, a great guy. Um, and we get another throwdown between the X-Men and the Fantastic Four um i don't know i don't know
1: i i really felt uh similar to you in the last issue on this one especially in regards to franklin like if if reed knows franklin is a mutant it and especially an omega level level mutant and i think it was in the um in the, uh, the blue matter or whatever they're calling it in this one. Uh, he says... Uh, oh, he says... Uh, having our son move there feels wildly irresponsible, especially considering he's an Omega-level mutant. While I don't know the specifics of the designation... Excuse me? <laughs> Reed Richards doesn't know the designation? Like, if he... If he does... Like, if he's got the designation... It doesn't track for me that he doesn't know what it means, right? Mm. So, like, you're telling me Reed knows the phrase "omega level mutant," but he never got together with Charles and was like, "Hey, what does this What's mean? What's that about?"
3: <laughs> and how
0: how is that going to affect my son? Also, it's not like that complicated. If you call something omega level, I think it means it's pretty busted, strong, right? Yeah, it's powerful. That's it. Sure. Yeah. Did you have any more to add to that, Kale? I that that was the thing for me. I think that
1: that really uh, threw me the most. It really put me on your side of it. It was just like this. Okay, this doesn't really make sense.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. That's how you felt about the last issue too, Sean. Yeah,
2: I missed the review
0: for that. Version. Yeah, I thought that uh, a lot of the, the the behavior of the principal characters was just off, and I still feel that way here. And what Kale said right there speaks to what I'm talking about. But I've got more examples. Uh, Why is Sue Storm acting like um, she is ruled by emotions and has no logic at all to speak of? I understand that she's a mother. But I don't think that just because she's a mother means that when Cyclops says, oh, uh, you know, Krakoa is the birthright of Franklin but not Valeria. And she goes off the handle and is like, you think... You think one's better than the other? What? <laughs> what? From where did you get that? Yeah. It was just a crazy reaction. Yeah just... uh, he says... One's, she says, One's better than the other. Is that it? Of my children, you value the life of Franklin over Valeria. My genius daughter wouldn't be allowed in your paradise compound because she's not pure enough for you. Not mutant. You value her life less. All your actions make that perfectly clear. Oh, okay? She hasn't been a factor. His actions have been, hey, your son is a mutant. He wants to come to where mutants live. We think he should be able to able to come. That's all they've yeah. done. So I, I think that that, that dialogue
2: makes more sense in the context of the the conversation that they have that they they continue to have, right? Where I, it's a few pages later where she says, um, they're a nation that thinks they're better than everyone. They're helping people for a price. Sabretooth has diplomatic immunity, apocalypse is with them for they're not the people we once knew. They're not heroes. So I, I think I think it's her like that that commentary there is how their relationship to these people that they've known is changed because now they are this group that, like, is 100% based on the fact that their um, species is superior. Genetically superior. What What
0: does that have to do with the insane argument that they think that the crux of her opposition to Scott in that conversation is the fact that he thinks that Franklin is better than Valeria? Well, and what's weird is, like, it also feels like it comes out of nowhere
1: from Scott. Like, literally in the panel above. The way
2: he says it, you mean?
1: Yeah. Reed, we respect you and everything your team has done uh, for the world of humans and mutants, so believe me when I say your children are not here. And to be perfectly clear, Krakoa is Franklin's birthright, but not Valeria's. It just doesn't really... Like, why would he say that? Why did you need to say that?
2: I mean... I guess, I guess maybe, maybe she's just reacting because it's fucking rude. I think, I think the argument he's making there, right, is that like, well, if we were
0: harboring your children, we wouldn't be harboring her. Right. Which then makes it really weird when she says, <laughs> why should we believe you? Oh, oh, so my daughter's not good enough for you to kidnap? Is that what the I problem guess just, is? That's what, yeah, like, that's what you say. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a really just bad argument, in my opinion, and... I just don't get why, when when, they're, when the the reasons for opposition are so obvious, it feels like Chip Sadarsky is grasping at straws to create conflict where there is natural conflict. So then, anyways, the Fantastic Four decide that they need to go and try to rescue their children, who Scott already said he doesn't have. And, of course, all that gives us is another blowout between these two teams. I really loved the importance here of uh, of Sue, of Invisible Woman, to the team. Her getting knocked out earlier on in the melee puts the Fantastic Four at a severe disadvantage because they need her. I really, really like that. And I don't feel like a lot of times she gets enough credit in these fights for how valuable she is she's like the only one of them that has a defensive power yeah you know yeah but again i just read rushing into battle not really thinking about what they're really getting into here the fact that they think that they can win this kind of fight um it's just all it's all like come on why 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 is this the solution you're not going to go to the mutant island And do any damage. It's not going to happen.
1: Yeah. I, I guess I don't necessarily... I guess I don't necessarily know that... Their plan was to... Go to fight to win. Like, it... I don't know. It comes across to me as a... Reconnaissance mission. But at the same time, it's like... Why not... Like, if they're both looking for the kids... Why not just call them up? And be like, look because something's clearly happened help me find my kids. i think
2: i think what what makes that whole because i agree with you kale but i think what makes that like weird is that okay it's a reconnaissance mission and they find out that they don't have them and they confirm that information and then they start a fight for no reason
1: well i think i think the idea being the reconnaissance mission would be to just Get some form of a lead so that they can get there first, right? But
2: they get the, their the lead idea. And was, then they their attack. idea
1: was they attack because they got caught. Do they? I thought it was that they. No, they they attack because Mag- Magneto does something
0: here that doesn't make sense. Nightcrawler realizes uh, that they're there. Magneto pulls them out of stealth somehow, and I see, I see, yeah, yeah, and then they Ooh, start fighting. Okay. And Human Torch literally says, well, you're off the hook for kidnapping, but you all still sound like creeps. Which? Fair. Fair, yeah,
2: sure. Is that worth fighting for? <laughs> well, I, I, I guess also the fact that I didn't understand what was happening there is, like, that's kind of problematic. <laughs> sure. Um,
0: okay, yeah. I, I don't know. I really, really wanted to like this book because it's a great creative team and stuff. But this second issue reinforced what I didn't like about the first one, which is that anytime you need a reason for two traditionally good superheroes to fight each other, the reason has to be, in my opinion, for it to work, ideological. And so, what is the ideological conflict? It is that uh, the mutants are now saying, hey, mutants are superior, and obviously the Fantastic Four will have a problem with that on principle, but then you add in the fact that their child is a mutant and he wants to experience what it's like to live a fully mutant life and, and try that out, you know, uh, he's at that age where identity really matters, Okay, and, and and Reed doesn't want that, and the mutants want him to come, boom, you have your powder keg, but it can't be that every issue has to have them fighting for this to work. And right now, it feels like Chip didn't have enough meat in the story that he wants to tell to warrant however many issues this is going to be.
2: Yeah, I I feel the same way, unfortunately. Um, and I, I don't – it's like I didn't – I don't hate the two issues. Um, I definitely, like – I dig Terry Dotson's art too, so, like, there's that's something. But, you know, I I – I agree with you that like having them have be two issues in, we've already had two conflicts that amount to just like physical conflict and nothing more really. It, it just feels like a wasted opportunity because I think that you're right that the, the, I feel like you can justify some of the decisions that we're criticizing to some level in terms of like what you said, where there is real drama there in terms of the family dynamic of the Fantastic Four and what it means to Franklin to BMU and 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 all that. Like, yeah, that's really rich material, and that's why I think we were so excited for this book, given the creative team and the subject matter. But I don't feel like it's really amounting to much, you know. Like it's it's been it's been a lot of them yelling at each other, and and then you know. Like escalating situations that don't need to be escalated and characters acknowledging that the situation is escalating for no reason, but they're still doing it. So it just feels, it feels weird, you know, like, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I don't think that I'm totally out on it in terms of thinking that it can't find its feet because it's obviously got a lot of space to go. But based on these two issues, like I'm not really impressed by it so far.
1: How many? How long is this going to be? Or is this a mini? Just five. Yeah, it's
0: a mini. I believe it's five issues.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So now that we're already halfway through, yeah, that's not a great sign. Um, I don't know. I, I'm with you, Sean. Where I want to love this book, and it's it's not really doing too much for me.
0: It has. It's okay. It has all the makings of what could be a really strong book. Uh, but it's it's falling short. I also really really don't like. Professor Xavier's character right now is one that has to be dealt with very carefully because he can easily fall into, like, ho ho ho, I'm a villain now, right? type of dialogue. And uh, there's a line that he says in this book where he's like, um, says something to the effect of, we need to remind Reed Richards that the status quo has changed in no uncertain terms. Uh, he says, we'll need to explain to them how things are now in no uncertain terms. And it's just like, what wh- what is that? So, okay, so you need to explain it to them. What you really mean is what? You need to kill them? You need, you, what, do you need, what do you need to do? You know, and it just comes across as lame and like traditional villain stuff. And it's, he's not a villain, right? Or at least we're supposed to be playing with that ambiguity. Art-wise, I feel like this was actually a downturn from the last issue.
2: Yeah, the last issue was definitely better on, on an art level. Did you notice there were three inkers on this book? Uh,
1: no, I didn't. I missed that part. Uh, Rachel Dotson with Carl Story and,
0: uh, Ransom Betty? Oh, yeah, Ransom yeah. Getty. Yeah, Ransom Getty. That's pretty wild. Yeah, uh, don't like that. And you can tell, quite frankly. Um, Yeah yeah because some pages are much better than uh, others some of the faces are wonky and dodson sometimes his faces are are off and we i think feel like we commented on that in the review of issue one um but even beyond just the faces there were some sequences that are hard to read uh, or not read but like understand what's happening visually like the one that uh, we spoke about earlier um uh you know Just, I don't know, there were were a lot of things that that rubbed me the wrong way visually. Like, you see, see, uh, there's one part, this is maybe a nitpick, but you see um, playing cards being thrown at the thing. But unless I missed it, you never actually see Gambit. uh, Which is kind of weird. Where's that? Uh, It's on, uh, it's the page right after the x-men all start running towards the fantastic four and they realize this isn't going to go their way. Um, oh, yeah. shit, you're right. Yeah, those are those are definitely playing cards. <laughs> yeah, and, and he, Gambit never actually appears, so that's Oh, no, he's in the um on the page where oh, we he's do way see in the back. Them. He's he's, he's way, way way in the back. The back okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just kind of like, you know, you think about it, right? Like if okay, if I'm going to Show that this character has done something. I would show the character in the process of doing it, or something like that. The, you would show right, the character. Yeah, there are a lot of close-ups here that that really take away the scope of what would be a pretty big action sequence. Um, and so I felt like that was lost a bit. Yeah, I don't know. I mean i had I had definite issues with the art as well. I also didn't really like the sequences. On Doom Island, or whatever that was supposed to be. Yeah, it's plot, plot fodder. Info dump. Yeah. I Stuff. mean, even visually. Like, Pyro Stuff is looks happening. like he's a part of the scenery. Closer to the end. Like, uh, four pages <laughs> yeah. From, yeah. from the end. The, he, he just looks like he's... In the jail yeah, or whatever. Yeah, he just looks like he's, like in that, you know, like he, like, he's a, like he's a piece of furniture or something um, yeah, I, I don't know, <laughs> I just overall, I wasn't impressed with the effort and I, I know that the, this is a creative team that can do bigger and better things, in, in my opinion than, than what we got here
2: Yeah, we've seen both of them do stuff that's just way higher quality work
0: than this. Uh, what would it take for you guys to really enjoy this more going forward? a severe shift in what we've seen
1: the the severe shift toward, um, what, like what you say, you know, toward an actual ideological conflict as opposed to just punching. And with the addition of doom sentinels, it really doesn't seem like it's going to go there.
2: Right. Yeah. That, that is the thing I actually was the most disappointed about with this issue because until we get to that last page, I was kind of thinking to myself, okay, like, this is setting up and escalating the conflict a little bit more. There's a chance for this to take a turn and get to the meat that we want and have some good stuff, you know? But then when I see that, it's just like, okay, so what? There's going to be Doom Sentinels, and then they'll work together and squash the beef, and we'll decide what's going to happen with Franklin, and he'll either come down Krakoa, and that'll maybe matter, or he won't, and then he'll come when he's a t- an adult, whatever, okay, great, bye, like. It it just, like, I can feel where the story's going now, and it doesn't feel like it's going to have the meat and the nuance that I think we're hoping for. Yeah, definitely. And
0: that's Uh, a shame. For me, I just want these characters to act like the characters that I know and love. Right now, I don't feel like they are. Uh, Dr. Doom's involvement, very disappointing. Not that he can't be involved at all, because it's like the Fantastic Four, you know, Doctor Doom goes hand in hand, but this just feels like one of those, like oh, we need a reason to drum up sales, let's put the X-Men and the Fantastic Four together, and give them a flimsy reason to fight, and then throw Doctor Doom in so they can all turn on him um, you know it it plays at having a nuanced reason to exist, but ultimately it feels like it's just that that's not what we want right now, so uh, let's move on to Expo number seven, The Talk of the Town. Uh, this is Jonathan Hickman reuniting with Linneal Francis Yu and Sonny Go, of course, with Clayton Cowles on letters and uh, Tim Miller doing the design work as per usual on these X-Books. Uh, we referenced it earlier, but there was a conversation between Cyclops and Wolverine that's very suggestive of what their relationship is may or may not be uh this is a very reminiscent sequence of a couple that's you know one can't sleep the others you know just woken up and they're you know they're sharing their coffee and talking about like what's going on with the kids and stuff like that i don't know what you guys make of this
2: yeah i mean so this this is what i'm talking about like I think this definitely lends credence to the idea that like they they have a polyamorous relationship going on here, and I think even if um I don't necessarily think that it has to be suggestive to mean that like because I mean they make a joke about like Scott being in the speedo and stuff like that, and Wolverine you know being um, being into it, you like, mean? Kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah, like they they're like they're they're definitely flirting, right? Um But I don't. I don't know that, that necessarily means that like, I I I don't know what that necessarily means about the dynamic of the relationship at play there, right? Because I definitely, like I said, I'm firmly of the opinion that – that the three slash four of them are like you know engaging in polyamory at some capacity here. Um I don't know how much that means that they're fucking, but it sure, certainly sounds that way to me. <laughs> like,
0: uh, at least I read a some lot level, more right? tension into that sequence so, I than you apparently did. Um,
1: oh, I think there's definitely tension in it. I just... uh yeah, that That particular, maybe. you know, half page was uh, was
0: very uh, uh, suggestive. Yeah, Cyclops sure. seems icy. He seems uncomfortable.
2: Well, I think it's, yeah, but I think it's because he's uncomfortable uh, yeah, about the he Crucible.
0: He specifically
1: came out to talk about something, and he's trying to break the ice with Wolverine to have that conversation, and Wolverine doesn't want to have it.
2: Yeah, that that's I agree with that, Kale. That's very much the impression that I got, where I, I think that this is clearly weighing on Cyclops, and he wants someone to tell him that it's the right thing, or validate and the we'll, doubt and it's clearly has, weighing on Wolverine know? and he doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah, Wolverine's very much like, I don't want to go there. You know, like, I don't like it, but I don't get a say and that is what it is. And Cyclops, obviously that's not good enough for him because he spends the entire rest of the issue like grappling with this
0: and, and what it means to me. I love, uh, I love the next quick sequence where Cyclops walks out and uh, he, sees, he sees Doug and um, Warlock Warlock, yeah. right? Yeah what, What's so, up with that? Okay, so what, what is, you have to really like see the art You know, pay attention to the art, I'm not saying you weren't but just in general, you see that Doug is chilling with Warlock and, um, and Krakoa and then the next time we see them, Warlock mm-hmm. is gone but he's not gone, he's actually inside of Doug uh-huh. And he's uh, you can see that he's on his yeah arm. yeah oh I didn't because notice Doug that the first is, time. Um, Doug Doug and Warlock have been rocking with each other for a while. Doug is like a techno uh, like a techno organic mute at this point, and so I don't know why that shocked Cyclops necessarily or why he was kind of surprised. I guess he didn't he didn't expect to see Warlock just chilling.
1: Well, I, yeah, I guess my question was: Is there, you, like, what's Warlock's status in the in the place? Like, it it also looks kind of like Krakoa is being represented by a face in the tree yeah. here, that sort of goes away in the right. last
0: panel. Yeah, that's the that's their little clique that Cyclops is clearly not uh, not welcome to, or privy yeah. to, maybe. I, I really yeah. liked that. It, it was just a small moment, but. Um, just cool, yeah. Huh. I,
2: I I like that there are small moments like that in these books because it, it I think it speaks to the broader like that that there's more going on at Krakoa than we necessarily yeah. see on every page, you know. And I think that's really well, and I think I think the thing with Hickman too is these little moments add up, yeah. At some point, yeah, that'll mean something later, and we'll be like, oh! Remember that's back in issue 7? That's not nothing. Know? The guy who talks to the island is talking to
1: a, a techno... Like, like what is Warlock? A techno a techno mutant? Like, a robot mutant? Like. Is, is Warlock a mutant? I, I, I don't know. I thought he was. He hangs out with the mutants, <laughs> I just kind of assumed. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. I am not sure, actually. I know he's not, like, a Person, like I know he is like some form of technology, but uh, the fact that Scott seems to surprised to see him makes me makes me. I mean, I guess makes me wonder what makes sense, right? You
0: know, yeah, War- Warlock is is a part Neil of the tech marquee Remember the yeah, he's one of those okay. dudes, and i mutants are not
2: down with that right now. I I would bet so. I, yeah, I guess mutants that's why aren't down
0: it. with it, but what makes it so interesting? As we've talked about before, is the fact that there are mutants who represent the things that mutants aren't down with. Like Doug Ramsey being a t- having Warlock attached to him uh, is something that they've allowed, but it's also something that we know that Warlock and the technarch, not Warlock specifically, but the technarchy that he comes from, results in the end of everything down the road, right? So, um,. Just interesting. But let, let's get into the meat of this issue because a lot of people have been talking about this issue as like the best issue of all of X-Men so far. Yes, he did He did say Bill that. Bill said that. Murphy said yeah. that. He told me that. And so it really centers around... Did I say that? I think I did. No, I don't like think so. Well, maybe you will by the end of this conversation. It... Uh, it I don't
3: know. It
0: centers know. around this crucible and we don't know exactly what that's supposed to be. It centers around the crucible and Cyclops' crisis of faith. And who would you go to when you're having a crisis of faith? None other than, you know, the man of faith himself, Nightcrawler. And they have this really great discussion about the morality of what the X-Men are doing. Specifically in this issue, we see the Crucible, which is where mutants who have been depowered, who were depowered by Scarlet Witch during House of X, or I'm sorry, House of M, Uh, the, the what? millions of mutants that were, yeah, that were depowered. Yeah, I think it, I think it was uh, one million. The way it, okay, I'll say what it is, and then I'll say how I'm thinking about it. So, what it is, is the Crucible allows some of those mutants to try to uh, prove, that prove their worth as mutants, and then Apocalypse will kill them, and they will be resurrected as mutants again, because they have this, you know, this genetic um, history, if you will, of all these mutants and can easily bring any of them back, but the human the, the body of the mutant has to be dead first, and once they bring them back, they can bring them back any way they've ever been which is a crazy huge wrinkle Um, and so of course the morality of that is in question if you could do this why do you have to go through this whole big ritual for it? Uh, now the way that I'm thinking about it and how this impacted me, is back when House of Ac- House of M took place and Scarlet Witch depowered all those mutants, we didn't talk about, we didn't talk too much about mutant supremacy. We didn't talk a lot about mutants as being a mutant as a part of you outside of just your powers, right? Like, I always thought when I was young about, like, man, mutants are the same as humans, they just have powers, right? And Mm. now we're not talking about mutants like that anymore. So the idea of mutants being stripped of their powers, and that also meaning that they were stripped of their very identities, and the thing that tethers them to a world outside of humanity, that's a big idea. And that makes the impact of what scarlet witch did that much more potent and powerful and so i found myself really connecting to this issue once i put that together um yeah go ahead yeah yeah i
2: i totally agree with you and i think that's been one of the most interesting i think wrinkles of uh of the the house era of x-men is i think the idea of mutant status being part of your identity is definitely not necessarily a new idea, but having it be um, this tied to, like, because a, a, there's a mutant culture now, right? There's a mutant nation, and those are things that mutants didn't have before. And their uh, their association before felt like it was more similar to being, um, I don't know, like, I guess... Like the way that someone might identify, and I hope this doesn't come off any kind of way, but the way someone might identify as being like, uh, like, like as part of a, a group that's not necessarily, um, you know, like your religion or something like that. Like you're part of this the this, this society of mutants, and that means something in terms of like your relationship to. Xavier School, or to the Brotherhood, or to you know, like these other organizations, like of mutants. But now it's more that like mutants are all banding together based on the fact that like being mutant is their birthright, and that that means something, and that like it is tied to a language and a culture, and you know potentially after this issue of religion, like that is a bigger thing than the way that you were talking about it Sean which is how I always kind of thought of it too is that like you know being mutant is like you're you're still a person you're still a human you know it's just this different thing and, and now there's such a, a degree yeah, of separation like liking that.
0: punk rock music and being a part of that subculture versus you know what it is now where it's yes, like man yeah. all the punk rockers got a punk rock island and now they you know you can't get on if you don't like <laughs> Green Day or whatever <laughs> um yeah yeah (laughs) i i really love this shift and it it adds weight to so many things that have come before uh kale where do you land on all that uh
1: i i it's interesting i've never like i've always liked the x-men but i guess i've always sort of considered them just sort of like another superhero team like the teen titans they, yeah, they're, they're just people with powers and they have a, a cool, uh, their wrinkle is, yeah, they have this, uh, you know, this mutant gene. Oh, cool. That's not, that's not unlike Beast Boy. Um, you know, and they live in a cool house and sometimes they save people. Um, but yeah, this, this shift makes it dramatically bigger, you know, and that's,
2: that's huge. And, and I think it does retroactively add weight to stuff like Genosha. You know, not to say that we didn't already think of that as like mutant genocide, but like I think it it adds weight to those those things and that persecution, right? Because like I think it it takes things that used to be considered like subtext of the X Men, right? Of like how you can look at it as an allegory for like race or culture or whatever. But like, and it's making that text in a very literal way of like we are a people united, and like you know we're not gonna we're not gonna take. What's been dealt to us anymore, kind of thing. And like that's such a shift in the way that we talk about the X Men. You know, and that's what we were talking about with House and Powers, right? That was what got Marco so jazzed originally is like They have. Why but, haven't uh, the mutants done this before?
0: Uh so <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> where where we really start to see what the crucible is you know, Apocalypse is speaking to Melody Guthrie, who, if you look at that panel where he asks her her name and, and she answers with her mutant name, she has the longest neck of all time. Like, that's her mutant power, I guess, is just having an extremely long neck. Um, <laughs> but, uh,
1: well, what's she doing in The Crucible,
0: then? But the way that he shuts it's- her down, you know, he's like, no, Arrow is a mutant name. I see no mutant standing before me. Perhaps you were born a mutant. But the humans stole that from you and now in all the ways that matter, you are as they are aren't you? That's brutal. It's the other way around from what you
1: would think it would be. Like like traditionally when this scenario comes up, it's like you tell me what your name is and you say your your Christian name and then you say no, your real right. name. I'm Batman. <laughs> And then you and then you die and we come back.
0: <laughs> no, but it's like uh, it's like uh I don't know if you guys have ever seen I think it's Roots, but um it's like that's the that's the slavery movie and it's like, you know, Kunta Kente, right? N- uh no, your name is Toby, you know, like that kind of thing. Um it Is that where I wonder huh? I wonder if that's where that
1: came from as like a device. Like a, a literary yeah, device. Yeah, I'm not
0: sure, but that was that's the first time I ever knew of something like that. And so it really reminded me of that. Uh, this probably on purpose. How does it make you feel, though, that being a mutant is directly tied, the way Apocalypse is putting it down, to having powers?
1: I think the thing is that your power is tied to the genes. And so if your powers are gone, that means you don't have the gene, so you're not a mutant.
0: Okay. But that means that being a mutant is something that can be taken from you through no fault of your own. And so once you lose that mutantdom because you lose the X gene, you're just not a mutant anymore? You're just cast out? I mean,
1: I guess so in this world where this stuff happens, you know?
2: Yeah. It's, it's weird because I think you're right, Sean, that that's like, it's messed up that that's the case, you know? And I think, I think that that is part of what's going on here, right? Where there is like, this element of the conversation that's happening with Cyclops and Nightcrawler or Cyclops and Wolverine where like there are elements of mutant society that are developing that are unsavory and I'll, some of the most influential mutants feel that way.
1: Well, I think I think when you boil that idea down, you know, it's like it's like the uh the the frog prince, right? Which turns a guy into a frog. Well, guy's a frog now, he's not He's not a guy; he's a frog. So
0: he was before. Yeah, like he might. You can turn him person. back into a guy, but he's frog now. That just makes mutant being a mutant seem like a switch, you know.
1: I think, but I think, you know, if you have the ability, as the Scarlet Witch did, to take that away from a person, it's not just a switch. It's it's you know because like in any other scenario
2: this thing wouldn't be taken from right you don't get turned into a frog every day (laughs) sure and the only reason they as a culture have to deal with it is because there are literally a million mutants who have been depowered that you know however many of them haven't died since that happened something needs to happen to address that now and And, and the idea that there are people out there who hate them and
1: are looking to get rid of them Altogether, well, what's the better, what's the best way to do that is to get rid of their, to either get rid of their gene or change their DNA.
0: It's so complicated because when the depowerment yeah. <laughs> happened and they had the one nine eight and all that, there were a lot of people who were comfortable with the idea that they were no longer mutants because they wouldn't be a part of a persecuted group. They could, they could go they back to living normal lives, something that they hadn't experienced, really, since they were children, before their powers developed uh, there were people who were uncomfortable with that there were people who were trying to find a way to reignite their mutant DNA, or get it back um, and and that was really interesting but now, that we're in a, in a space where they literally can just bring you back kill you, you know it's going to come with a price, your life but you come back and you have the powers that you had I think it creates a really a series of really compelling questions and the book does a great job I think of illuminating a lot of those questions for us and making us grapple with them because something that Hickman has said and it's it's rung true we're supposed to be uncomfortable with what the X-Men are doing and I personally am having trouble grappling with this new wrinkle because I feel like if they're not mutants anymore, right? If you're saying that a mutant who was stripped of their DNA through no fault of their own at random, because that's what it was, is no longer a mutant, then leave them alone. Let Let them be human. That's it. They're out of the club. I think
1: it. I think it's a matter of. I think it's a question of like citizenship as well, you know.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I think they want these people to come. Back so why come make them go? Through they want this to virtual. bolster their numbers. Well, I think that that question is the interesting question because I think that is a. It's a matter of culture, right? Because like that's what Cyclops and Nightcrawler are really talking about. Like when Nightcrawler talks about how. You know, he he contextualizes it through his faith in terms of the fact that these things are sins, right? Um, but what he says before where he contextualized it through the the Buddhist language, I think is a little bit more clear of, um, of, of what he and Cyclops and Wolverine are grappling with and why this is such an interesting issue. For me, these acts have both an external and external cost, right? So that, I, I think is why these things, why this is interesting. Because he brings up the wrinkle of like, if they all decided to kill themselves tomorrow so they could be reborn as mutants, that creates a problem for the five. So there's like a logistical problem of why they don't just kill all these people and bring them back. But I think there's also the argument to be made of of the fact that like, they might argue that this is better. Because mutant culture is different from ours, because they are a, a nation that you know is that has their entire legitimacy and their status in the world built on an exchange, right Not because all the other nations respect them. So like mutants are still under attack. They're just united, right And I think like teaching mutant children and and, and setting a standard within mutant society that being a mutant, isn't just your powers; it's also being willing, being willing to fight and die for the cause. I think that is also part of what is is coming of this crucible. Is that that is the message they want to put across? Well, and your right to exist as well. Your right to exist, and your right to
1: exist as a mutant and, is earned. Yeah, and I think I think that's that's also part of what what is being fought for here is you know apocalypse uh, apocalypse gives melody several chances to stand down and give up and she won't do it so i think if you want to join this you got to fucking want
0: it i love that that is apocalypse who is who is carrying this out too because it it goes back to you know the survival of the fittest which um you know a lot of people argue about whether or not that's his actual um life perspective but It's directly being applied here. If you are not fit to survive what it was like to be a mutant before, when we were persecuted and hunted, if you don't have not the power set, but the mindset to survive that, then you don't belong here. And the mindset would be I'm willing to die for this. This is something that I will die for, being a mutant. I will die for my people. And he's basically asking Melody, Will you fight and die? for mutant kind and the only reason why she's allowed to be killed by him to get to become a mutant again is because she is willing and I think that that's really interesting Um, I love it I love that they're doing it I love that it's happening I just have these questions and I love the questions I love that, 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 that we have to talk about this um, there's something that that, uh, that Nightcrawler uh, mentions, he says, um, it's something, okay, so he says, why seek heaven if we can for all time do God's good work here in the living world? Is our true cross now the burden of creating a heaven on earth? So even that, it's like, okay, well, the natural cycle for human beings is we live, we do everything we can do, hopefully we lived our lives right, and then we die. And there's an expiration date on that that creates an urgency in living your life a certain way, right? And then if you believe in God and you're a Christian or, or you know, a religious individual, uh, depending on your religion, you go to heaven and are rewarded for the good life that you led. Well, if that's not a motivator for you, and no matter what happens, you're going to live forever, how does that change the way you live your life? The mutants, by all accounts, don't actually have to work to live. What is, the, what is their cross to bear, as he puts it? The fact that they're mutants? Because it's looking more and more like that's not a cross. Right.
2: And, and I think that's what's so interesting, right? Is that when you look at the crucible and what it is through the lens of human society, I think it seems barbaric. And that's why it makes them uncomfortable, and it's why it makes us as readers uncomfortable. You know, it's like uh, Cyclops, I think, says in the beginning, he says, are we really just going to watch a mutant die? But does that matter as much? Does that mean the same thing when when resurrection is not just a possibility but but an inevitability, right, when you submit to the crucible, right? Like – how how does that recontextualize these actions and make us have to look at mutant society through a different lens? And I think the fact that Nightcrawler comes to the conclusion that he thinks he needs to start a mutant religion, it's because their barometer for morality is different than ours now. Because it has to be. Because they're no longer mortal beings. And they they are, but they're not. You know? Like and they're the the point that you made, Sean, of of the goal of your life being to live a good, honest life, sure, I think that you still need to have a a, a, a morality barometer. But like, shit, man, I mean, when you when you change the rules of life and death, you change what everything means. You know, apocalypse uh, killing Arrow um, isn't it's not murder, and it's you know she thanks him for it. Because it it means something different to them now. And that is what I think is what people really connected with in this issue is that it's grappling with those really heavy subjects again of what are the natural ramifications of what the mutants are doing right now. You know, because it's not just as simple as we're all living on an island together and we're, you know, whatever. Like, no, like they... Like I said, they're developing a culture, a language, a society that has its own rules and its own values. And I think we're going to have a lot of complicated feelings about some of the things that they decide because
0: we're not mutants. I just don't see how this is different than like Ultron. You know, where you kill him, he's got a copy of himself somewhere, he comes right back. I don't see how this is different than the technarchy. The technarchy, the singularity, has the history of different... You know, worlds and and species within it, the same way that Professor Xavier has all of that in Cerebro right now. Um, it's just so wild and deliberate, I'm sure. How all of the things that they're doing are reminiscent of the things that they oppose and that appear to oppose them. And you know, it feels like a house of cards in a lot of ways, but um i've never in in my life seen any anything quite frankly like this before in storytelling it's i've never seen it in the world and so for that alone i think it's 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 incredible what they're achieving here i've never had to ask these questions before not in this specific way anyway right like
2: uh, no i i think that's definitely true like the the way that the way that Hickman is able to use the X-Men and the history of the X-Men and our nostalgia for them as readers and our connection to them um, to talk about politics and society and religion is really just masterful, you know? And I, this is this is truly the yeah, good shit. Definitely.
0: like This is what you read comics for. I'm so glad <laughs> that uh, Lanil Yu was back for this issue because his apocalypse is a mean son of a gun, man. Dude,
2: I love this sh- when he does those shots of his face and yeah. you can't see his eyes. like those are always so cool because you you get a real sense of scale, right of like what it would be like to stand in front of him
0: yeah, those those shots uh, the 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 low shots where we're looking up um of him, especially the the first time we see him with the sword uh, planted in the ground and him standing really tall over her um it's just just incredible apocalypse is the best looking character he was best dressed in x men number four and in this one he's just best looking overall and um
2: I also really love how dynamic uh the presentation of him is depending on what he's saying you know because that is i think one of the coolest developments of this whole era of x men is like how they've been able to develop apocalypse as a character now that he's not an antagonist who um, can be kind of one dimensional. Uh, like the. When she. When. When Arrow thanks him, right? And she says, I am back. I am whole. Thank you. And then he says, I deserve no credit for revealing what was already there. Um, that shot of him, like his brow is furrowed in a way that, like, he, he. There's a softness to him, even though there's still that shadow on his face and he's still scary and, and imposing. Like, it, it's. It's very. Um, I, I hesitate to use the word humanizing, but <laughs> humanizing, you know, like it it presents a side to the character that um, is interesting and dynamic, you know, because he is like as you said, he's a he can be a real bad dude, like in uh, every sense of the word. But um, his time and his place in Krakoa is shaping and changing him in ways that are very interesting. I just
0: I I just really love the way that you um, depicts faces, and he's so good at these, like, hard, like, these issues where it's, like, gritty, right? Like, look at the fight that they're having. It's real gritty. You see, um, Melody standing there with her, her fist clenched, and you can tell she's beaten down, and she just has this look of, of pain, but, but, um, but she's resolved to, you know, like, I just, I just love it, and, um, There are just so many instances, right, of that. And he does such a good job of showing action that doesn't have to do with powers, necessarily. Like, the way that, you know, Melody dodges the sword and she flips out of the way. It's so cool. It's a still image, right, and it doesn't feel... Uh, kinetic it feels very it feels like it's set in stone in a lot of ways and it doesn't give you much room to visualize the movement of them but as a moment in time he captures the moments you want to see the most right which is what you want an artist to do and he gives them weight and they feel like they matter and he's so so talented at that I really love this issue visually as much as I do um, verbally and everything else and the the coloring is also again sunny go and 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 you go together, like uh, I don't know Sonny and chair. Yeah. Oh, very good. Um, because he 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 brings the colors and the the sort of uh, uh like muted colors that add to the harshness of this. So yeah, great job. And. Uh, the, the scene where
2: Arrow's, like, reborn and, like, how heavenly that looks is
0: just... Wow. Like, what a... Yeah. Like When what a she first uses her pinches. powers again and flies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: And then, uh... Yeah. And then that juxtaposed... That very religious imagery
0: juxtaposed with Nightcrawler's revelation. Absolutely yeah. great. So, do I feel like it's the best issue we've gotten... Since House and Powers, um, yeah, yeah, I do. I, I, I would say
2: if not, it's certainly in the conversation for the top three. You know, like it. it this is this is uh an issue that was firing on all cylinders. What do I think.
1: you think goes with it?
2: Five was really great. Um, that's the other one that five. immediately comes to mind for me. Isn't five the one where they go, um? Where we get our boys in the suits and they go and talk with all the world leaders? Or is that four? Okay,
1: four then. Yeah, I I think this is the best we've gotten so far. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, this is what I was hoping for. Totally. 100%. And X-Men as a title, right? In my opinion, the way that things are, are happening should be where we get stuff like this. You know, it's cool if... If Marauders is going to be, you know, a certain specific group of people, X-Men, I should say, mutants, on an adventure. And it's cool if, you know, every book will have their own identity. I think X-Men should be where we can ask and answer the big questions about what's going on. What
2: I really want X-Men to be is House and Powers every month. That's <laughs> I, what f- I, I, I feel like this was that level.
0: Well, four, four, five, six, and 7... Of X Men have all been standouts, because five was the one where they um where they sent the kids in to the the Orcus or whatever that was the Um, time vault or whatever. six of course was the one with Mystique didn't care about okay and then now yeah I love that issue I liked it so X Men's been phenomenal I'm really happy with it. It's yeah. living up to the promise of House Powers and Issue 1, and I can't wait for more. Yeah, part agree. I mean, I think this was—if this is a, a
2: barometer of quality of what's to come, then, I mean, I'll shovel that shit
0: in my face with a shovel. All right. <laughs> so, uh, thank you guys for joining us on this long and winding road through episode 175 of the comics pals we appreciate you guys a lot
2: it's a landmark issue
0: uh (laughs) hopefully you enjoyed the reviews let us know your thoughts about these issues particularly X-Men number 7 a lot of people have been singing its praises do you disagree uh was there something that you liked about it that we didn't call out we'd love to hear all of that and anything you think about anything we talked about on this episode of the show you can reach out to us uh, by writing in at thecomicspals at gmail.com. We are at The Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, don't leave before you hit that like button. Drop us a comment with a little bit of encouragement. Uh, subscribe to our channel for more of this kind of content. And share with your friends if you enjoy what we do. And wherever you're listening to us, make sure that you guys are leaving us some form of rating, whatever the equivalent is on your uh, platform of choice they help us out a lot and they're free to do um so really 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 go leave us a rating if you can um it, it's much appreciated if you enjoy this stuff let's jump into the plugs pete
2: thanks for joining us here on another episode of the comics pals if you want to connect with me i'm at loud underscore pete on twitter and instagram if you want to check out more of my work you can head over to com where i host their weekly podcast the Potscast, as well as the patreon exclusive show after dark um, where uh, the main show we talk about Nintendo, the other one we talk about things that aren't Nintendo so if you want some more of me, I'm over there sometimes alright, Kale you can find me on Twitter and Instagram
1: at TotoInto, that's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W you can find my work at KaleWord.com that's K-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com this week I made and approved a Comics Pals Roulette Instagram filter so if you want to see which Comics Pal you are and why it's me you should absolutely jump on Instagram. Tag us. Uh,
2: we are very excited about it. I have to go do that and see if I get you three I times in a three row. three times I mean. in a damn row.
0: That was pretty funny. <laughs> uh,
1: you can find Marco at uh, Mr. Marco Animoto. Tell him, I don't know, tell him Tell him you like grass. He'll equate it with something and it's fine. Uh, you can find his work at com. that's m-a-r-c-o-c-u-n-a-l-a-t-a dot com not
0: bad you gonna plug phil oh only
1: after a date Uh, you can find phil at cyborg bebop that's
0: c-y-b-o-r-g-b-e-b-o-p you threw me off there (laughs) as for me uh, you can hit me up on twitter and instagram only at sean soapbox Let's talk about Jean Grey Day, right? Like, Kale acknowledged her as being uh, great as she is. It's got to be a mark of the holiday. Well, you picked the perfect day to do it, quite frankly. Um, And also, let's talk about X-Men number seven, because that was really, really some of the best stuff ever. And with that, we're the Comic Spouse signing off. Take care, guys. Don't
1: forget to go to GameStop to buy your comics.